and welcome to the 2014 year in review. What was that, Steve? I don't know. Okay. I don't know, like the like the news announcing thing, you know. It always sounds very official and very affirmative, very very uh very rousing, a little bit patriotic, but you can't place where. So um, I'm excited to be jumping into our. As a group, uh, our year in review, it's uh, one of my favorite podcasts of the year because we get to reflect on everything we've done. I, of course, am Matt. I'm John. And I'm Steve. And uh, we'll get right into our year in review. Um, we've done a lot this year. We've made a lot of strides for the website, the podcast, and there have been a lot of strides in music this year. So I want to first talk about our infallibility, or fallibility in this case. Um, as you know, we, we've explained what our rating system is and why we rate the way we rate. And uh, we have articles on the site about it if you don't know, so go read them. But um, sometimes at the end of the year, we do allow ourselves to change some ratings vocally just because we realize that sometimes even we grow on something, like something less, realize something's better in the Pantheon. There are a lot of reasons to adjust things. In general, we give ourselves a good solid week, and it's a week of thoroughly listening to the album, but very often, a week, it takes a lot more. Yeah. So, in those in, in those inevitabilities, then we come around to the end of the year, and sometimes it's just, you feel, you feel that some number was just off. And sometimes it's just in the spur of a moment, you might feel it's a little bit better than it was, or it's a little bit worse than it was. You might have been honing on to one topic a little bit too much when reviewing an album. That's a very common mistake. You yeah. Know, you get in love with just one one thing, and then you realize that, well, you don't really care that the other things fell behind. But in retrospect, it kind of matters. Or something might be so detrimental that you're going, well, that brings the whole album down. But in hindsight, it might not be that bad. So do we want to alternate these or just go down the list? I'll start. All right. Um, I've mentioned this frequently on the podcast before because I found that it, 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 it sort of is a... It's a gaping hole when I'm trying to rate all the things against this particular work. And that's inevitably what you're dealing with. Because you're dealing with something that does come down to competition in the end. Granted, of course, it's art and it's for everyone and you're supposed to take it at face value. But there is competition here. You're, some things you're going to listen more to others. And you have to really, really think, why is that? Why do some things attract you? Why other things fail? And if your number somehow doesn't reflect that, then you must have a serious issue there. So we did uh, an album called Singles by Future Islands back in episode 104. It was brought on by, uh, by the Living, Statue, uh, Living Galatea. Statue Galatea. And it was an, a very interesting album in terms, of, in terms of theme and arc and this whole concept behind, behind um, staring back at a relationship that, that may not have ever existed in the first place. It was a very, very fascinating concept and probably one of the strongest themes we've ever had. But that was, that was what we were honing into, I think, for the majority of that podcast. We were looking at, at lyrics and theme and all that stuff, and I found myself forgetting about the music behind it. But the music was good, too. It kind of supported it, but only vaguely. Not enough to warrant my original rating of 4.8, but I take it down only a smidgen because sometimes that one little aspect, being theme, can still promote something extremely high. And that, in this particular case, I still think that's enough. That warrants it... Uh, that warrants to bring it to a 4.6, okay. just a 0.2 difference. But, you know, these are these are big gaps in our upper upper echelon. Yeah, for me, my first one is actually also Singles by Future Islands. Um, I rated it a 5, and I still think it's one of the best records we've listened to all year, but I realized that there are other things that did come after it that I would rank above it, and I didn't feel it should be on that highest step. So I'm only bringing it down a quarter of a step from a 5 to a 4.75, uh, because it's... An incredible record, but I feel like it just needed to come down a point, 
0.25. I think we were enamored by the poetry in it. Yes. And of course, since this is a music podcast, you get you gotta you gotta consider that fallibility. But it's still an incredible album, and that's why it stays at a 4.75 for me. Fair enough. Uh, coincidentally, I did not change my rating on this one, though I was close to it. I still think my original 4.7 was solid, but I have the same sort of reasoning for <laughs> lowering another album. Beastie Boys. Check your head. In hindsight, it doesn't stand as well to today's music as I really thought it would. And that was the main reason why I gave such a high rating was, honestly, Beastie Boys, that album is solid. And back in the day, I still, I still think it warrants that 4.75 I've, I've given it. But right now, in this, in this time, I, it still stands, but I've, I gotta drop it down to a 4.5. It is a solid album, but I don't think it's on the cusp of greatness that it used to be. Maybe in its first, you know, rendition, the first time you hear it on the radio, yeah, it's going to be that good. But upon subsequent listens, and the fact that, well, I didn't know all of it, but I did know a heck of a lot of it, I think nostalgia might have colored my eyes a little bit too much listening to that guy. So yeah, that one's going down That's a little bit. That's the problem bit. with nostalgia albums. We often have that case because we we give we usually give guests that that freedom to take a nostalgia trip if they want to, but then it winds up conflicting with uh, with our year-end ratings because of the fact that we're rating something 20 years before other things were made, which is a bizarre, you know, thing to deal with. Well, that's why I left those out. I didn't adjust those because I feel like they're kind of in their own world and they'll they'll exist where they exist. Yeah. I, I remember rating it lower at the time because of, of that exact fact John but mentioned. I did have another one that I lowered. Um, it's also compared against what will ultimately come up a lot more later is the album that I felt was higher than this. But um, I was head over heels for St. Vincent by St. Vincent when we first reviewed it earlier this year. It was one of the first albums that Steve brought that really kind of knocked my socks off since uh, God Sticks. But it's not a five. I've listened to it a lot more since. I love it. She's brilliant and it's great. But after hearing other artists of the same kind, it's not the best of what we've heard this year of that almost exact genre of pop-influenced composers. We've mm -hmm. had several albums by people like that. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I brought it down from a 5 to a 4.75. Again, it's incredible, it's well done, but it's not perfect for me. It's not, it's not my end-all be-all. But it's still up there. That's actually a very minor change for me as well, although it's, it, it's, it reaches the same exact point, 4.75, from my 4.8, for reasons that maybe I'll get to later. Stay tuned. Okay. Uh, I'm on the exact opposite side with this one. St. Vincent, I just fell enamored with. Um, it's sort of like a hindsight looking at God Sticks, which I also ended up bumping up to a 5. St. Vincent, I had 4.75. Honestly, I really find it to be perfect as is right now. Just a, a solid album. I would, I'm changing it to a 5. Hmm. I really, I really love this album. Not quite my favorite of the year. That's coming up later, but it's such a a solid piece of work that integrates so many different things into yeah that that kind of pop rock structure and i'm finding stuff in it still especially when i was doing my re-listens i'm finding these little things that i didn't hear before and it's like well that's what i was kind of missing so there See, it is. i'll say this i keep finding things in the same songs on that album the same songs but they're the rest of the album has some it's just it it's too tipped. It's too tipped toward my favorites on that album, and that can't possibly constitute a five. And a five is 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 
every track equal and and must be taken as a whole in my opinion in my vision of what up what a five is right. so for that reason that's why i think i'm keeping it 4.75 there are yeah. brilliant things on that album but they're they're segmented at a certain point i'm gonna i'm gonna be playing the repeat you know game well I, I, in, a, in a similar vein for the same sort of reasons as saint vincent i'm, I'm also increasing my brightest diamond uh to a full 5.0. I can't do it otherwise. The two albums are so... Honestly, I kind of call them opposite sides of perfection at this point. One with just so innovative work uh, with what My Brightest Diamond has done. The other one with taking what was already present and creating a brand new idea out of it. They're doing the almost exact opposite kind of ideas direction-wise. They both ended up being just perfect albums for me. Just from a, a level of understanding the music i um i am sticking my brightest diamond where it is at 4.8 mine is still staying at five um my, i only have one increase this time around and it's actually an unexpected one but i've been listening to it a lot since we reviewed it and i felt like uh, steve was right when he told me i was a little too harsh on it just because of what we expected uh ghost stories by coldplay i only gave it a 3.5 and truth be told it's Coldplay, and even though it was, you know, very pop-focused and very different from a lot of their other stuff, you know, it wasn't as intricate as some of the earlier stuff, the reality is I really like it, and there's still intricacies if you really look for them. So I'm boosting it only a mere 0.3 points, but it's going from a 3.5 to a 3.8. It's closer to a 4 than you think. It's just, if they had some elements of earlier Coldplay in this new record, it really could have achieved 4 or 4.5, 4. and so I'm leaving it at a 3.8 for me, and that's it for me for changes this year. Um, I have just one more. Uh, that last one would be an odd one. It takes us back to episode 85, I believe, and that would be Les Claypool's Do It A Twang. You oh, were yes. right, uh, Matt. It's just, it, that's a cover album, largely, and okay. I remember giving that, like, slightly above a four just because like, he was doing two cool things with his covers. He was doing cool things with his own covers. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I just, you know what? I would rather hear the original. I'd rather hear the original Primus exactly on exactly back, exactly back where you originally rated it, which is 3.75. And luckily, since I had no expectations with Les Claypool, I was able to keep it at my 4.25. Fair enough. Fair enough. You live in your bliss. Do you have any other changes? I do have one last change, and this is one, uh, almost the same exact reasons as Beastie Boy. Madonna's True Blue. While I still think it was one of the greatest pop albums she's ever written, regardless of what any naysayer would say with the later stuff, um, compared to what's coming out nowadays, yeah, it's it has content, it has a lot going for it, but musically, it does suffer hmm. when you make the comparisons. Um, it's it's going from a four to a three and a half. I mean, it's it's got a lot going for it, but it's just got so it's so light in the areas that would have pushed it to that four. Mm. And considering this segment of the podcast is the last chance that we get to do this before the next year in review, 2015, I may still yet change something before the end of this episode. So it's stay possible. tuned. Because uh, obviously our selections, we, we, we segment this by categories, if anyone remembers our last year's uh, year in review. We generally have... Uh, general prizes that will encapsulate different aspects of music sort of like the awards that you give to specific things but very important things uh considering what we're listening to and then after that we'll go to the booby prizes which is um obviously kind of speaks for itself things that weren't weren't so good but also things that maybe could have been better you know something to think about just from a an artist standpoint and from a listener standpoint and then finally our our ultimate wins which simply comprises best song best album and then some afterthoughts. 
And then so. from there, we're going to do some wrap-up and talk about this this website as a whole, the show as a whole, and all the people who helped make it possible, made it possible this year. Um, but let's get started with the first general prize, which is Catchiest Song. This is obviously in the title, just a song that you can't get out of your head that's catchy to you that really got, got you going this year. And mine came in kind of late this year. Um, I know that the, the album review itself had some up and ups and downs, and this song especially you guys weren't terribly fond of, but for whatever reason, whenever it comes on on my iPod, I can't help but dance, bob my head, and sing along. And that's OK Go's Turn Up the Radio. It's just a song I want to dance to. I want to do exactly that, turn up the radio and enjoy. There's not really a lot to say about it other than, you know, it's just a song I really enjoy bobbing my head to. Well, I um, I dipped toward one of our favorites for this one because it was a standout-ish single um, from an album that we just discussed, St. Vincent, St. Vincent, and the crowning single, Digital Witness. It's irresistible. I said before, I will repeat these songs over and over and over again. Well, this one is easily almost the leader of that pack um, for the catchy reason because everything that she was doing in there basically just it, it screams everything that I want 2010's pop to be. And it, it's irresistible. The video, you could take it or leave it with it. It's awesome. Without it, it's still awesome. It's, it comprises almost entirely of, of this uh, rhythmic saxophone section, which, is, uh, which I, I think dominates the track. And it's, it, it's all about just the way those little, little minute changes within the rhythm and the bass that goes along with it. It's just, it's, it's well, music to my ears would be redundant for the podcast. But yes. uh, it's, it's irresistible. Sums it up. Mine was was a split decision, though I did end up deciding one. I almost went with Da Vinci by Weezer from uh, Everything Will Be Alright in the End. Because that's a love song that I can just get on board with. It's, it's quick, it's dirty, you enjoy it, you can sing along with it on your first listen through. I did. But I'm also going to draw from St. Vincent. This is my catchiest song. St. Vincent's Birth in Reverse. Interesting. I that, was not... the, that was another single. That yeah. was the yes. first the first single, second track, I believe. Mm-hmm. Every time she goes into the chorus and I can't keep up with her, I have to try to sing along with it. It's It's got the rising and falling of the notes that just make it flow so well. It's got punctuation in the rhythm that supports the lyrics and her vocals so well. And that slightly disturbing melody that she has throughout of it, the way she, she plays with the, the pitch of the notes is so like both jarring and catching at the same time i have to go with this song i love this song interesting see this that's a catchy album i i, I strongly promote it to anyone who just kind of wants to have a good time because saint vincent will give you that much um i guess i'll take us into our next category here uh most enjoyable album this is this is the the album that you just sort of sit back with um you know, sometimes we would go, put this hand in hand with like a guilty pleasure album if, for instance, your ratings may not really justify the amount that you're actually listening to it. But enjoyable just means it's something that's that's you're kind of addicted to in a sense. Regardless Very of personal. how good it is or how bad it is, you love it. That's yes. The gen- that's that's the de- definition yeah. of that. And it means that regardless of all the little things that we that we rate these songs against, it there's something that this song is doing right. Something that maybe, uh, that maybe eludes, excuse me, yes, that this album is doing right, that eludes everything else. Maybe the ineffable, who knows? Anyway, a uh, little bit of a repeat here. St. Vincent by St. Vincent. See, even though I'm taking it down in the artistic field, I still think it is 
I can't stop listening to the album. Even the one, the tracks, I may go on repeat, but just all tracks are, they're, they're coming from some high-minded and yet very rooted place. Perhaps this has to do with the fact that, uh, that the front, well, St. Vincent essentially is Annie Clark, and she used to work with David Byrne. That's how the saxophone sort of ended up, we presume, on uh, Digital Witness. But in general, you think back to the stuff that David Byrne was doing, it was fun then. Well, if she's the 2010s version of David Byrne, that's what I want. That's exactly what I want. When I was trying to find my most enjoyable album, one stuck out for me, but I couldn't figure out why. And I came up with this idea of what a truly enjoyable album is. It's not The Perfect Girl. That's your technical album, or that might be your best album. Your most enjoyable album is your best friend. Like you said, you, you love it in spite of its faults. <laughs> You know, even like how I love you. Exactly. In spite of all of your faults. Your laundry list of faults, in fact. Yes. Thank you. But Weezer's, <laughs> Weezer's Everything Will Be Alright in the End. This, this, I just couldn't. It was old school Weezer. It was new school Weezer. It was something out of left field from Weezer. And it was delivered in such a way that it, it adapts to itself. Even its lowest points. I still don't dislike the songs. I still don't hate the songs. But... When you, you're having uh, the Future Scope trilogy on an album that's also got Back to the Shack, I mean, you're doing something right here. And it's an album that I just played on loop for the longest time. I was actually very happy that I listened to this album for the podcast instead of getting it out on my own. Because taking it with that critical eye, it, it, was, it was weird how much I enjoyed it, sometimes because of its flaws. Mm. It's funny that you mentioned that you were happy to wait to listen for the podcast for your enjoyable album. I'm glad, A, that our enjoyable albums are all very different. I like that. It shows that when we're really in a comfortable mood, how much we differ in taste of what we want to hear. My most enjoyable album was Lazaretto by Jack White. Interesting. Um, because I can't stop listening to it. <laughs> I'm hooked on this album, and I, too, waited for this album. I knew about it months before it came out, and I was so giddy. I called it. So no one else could pick it. Um, and I was very excited to give it the first listen with the analytical ear. But my favorite thing about Jack White's record is I think, again, because of its flaws is what I loved about it. It ended up in a lot of places feeling like a compilation. But I like that. I like that he genre jumps. I like that each song, one song sounds more like folk. One sounds like old school rock. One sounds a little bluesy. You know, and one sounds modern rock. I really like that. And also, once we discovered the theme work that was in it, that just added another element to the last handful of tracks that really connected them together that really sucked me in. Um, I think Jack White is one of the greatest guitar, modern guitar talents. I think he does a lot of really great work. And I think if he were to just do an album of his guitar virtuosity, it would be a much higher rated record. But he likes to dabble and fool around and play, and that's why I really enjoyed this record, and it's my most enjoyable of 2014. All right. Um, shall we go on to the third category here? Best lyrics. Best lyrics. Well, lyrics are always dear to my heart. If you've listened to me wax eloquence on any song previously, you'll definitely know I, I point out good lyrics. And in this case, I have two choices. The two choices are for dramatically different reasons. One of the funniest tracks of the year, which we couldn't really do a category for because it was only one funny album we did, but YOLO by Lonely Island, <laughs> the Whack album. I love what they do just to the idea of YOLO, to what this one generation says it means. 
and what it actually means when you read the words. You only live once. There's such wit in that song, I laugh every time. On the flip side, and this is where things get unusual for me, Pusher by Alt-J, This Is All Yours, is such an amazing song about love and has such beautiful imagery in it. This is why I couldn't make the decision between the two. Pusher was 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 just a genius piece. You can only, I believe Steve put it best, uh, an artist only comes across an idea like this once in a lifetime. And for Alt-J, this was their idea. This was their penultimate song. Forgetting even the vocal work, the musical work that was involved in it, just what they said was so impactful for me. Uh, when I was listening to it earlier today, I, I, I teared up again. My lyrical song was so different. <laughs> you, uh, you're talking I'm so about. I'm so excited that we're going to be all different in this category too. <laughs> you are talking about uh, love and and hilarity all in one, while mine concerns the subject matter of masturbating to an ex-lover. Arc Iris's second track, Lost on Me. <laughs> this was a dark, dark turn for an album that I really had no expectations of because she's uh, Josie Adams, the um, front woman for this, uh, for this band, Arc Iris. It's, as far as I know, their, their debut album, and I really didn't know what the hell they were going to do. I, I, it's, it's sung from some kind of... Uh, folk tradition but at the same time she's very rooted in classical influence and as early as the second track after a fairly open um and and i guess kind of inviting first track the second track really took a dark turn allow me to read you a uh, a stanza here holding on is it too long masturbating on a sorrowed mind Holding on, is it too long? Masticating on an empty mind. Symphonies of words to please, your expectations constantly. Our molding minds are rotting waste, or each other's second faces. It's, it's a beautiful and sorrowful, sorrowful image. Because somehow, and I, 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 I don't know how, but she, she was able to tap in to this dark place of a woman concerned more with lust than love at a particular moment, and if anything, uh kind of indulging in that moment, and she expresses it in these lyrics most, most eerily. And, and I just thought the turn of phrase itself was, was the most engaging. You know, changing the words around from masturbating on a sorrowed mind to masticating on an empty mind. Same exact message in almost the same tonal variance, but different words, different meanings. It's, it's, it was a marvelous, marvelous uh, uh, command of the English language, in my opinion. My pick for best song lyrics is actually for a very different reason as well. I took the road, the road of the social message and the content of the lyrics. And mine is actually related to the previous album I just mentioned from Jack, Wright's, Jack White's Lazaretto, Entitlement. Unbelievable. Continue. I, I love this song because... It's message about how we live in a social culture that believes they deserve everything. And his final verse locked in this song for me. I guess nobody on earth is entitled. Not mothers, not children, not kings. Not a one single person on God's golden shores is entitled to one single thing. We don't deserve a single damn thing. That verse made this song my favorite lyrics 
as well as all of the others and the chorus because it's so true. It's just flat out true. It's a great message that not a lot of people that I know of that I've heard, and I'm, if there are, please put them in the comments, but not a lot of songs about entitlement, and this one was spot on. He knew exactly what he was singing about, and it was brilliant, so that was my best song lyrics. I sit here aghast in the corner because of the fact that that was runner-up for, for lyrics for me, and I decided that I could not leave this podcast without giving that song some kind of credit, so I brought back an old category that we actually omitted for this year. Um, socially impactful and it was for all the reasons you just said and I believe I went on a giant rant at the end of that album yeah. even though I may not have enjoyed the album on the same scale as you did that that song itself and there were several other 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 messages um in various other tracks mm -hmm. that spoke to the same themes I recall but yeah. this one just captured it in in the best way possible everything you want a folk track to do simple guy guitar acoustic low-key atmosphere to convey the 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 issue the the dominant issue that he sees with society at the moment, and that is the fact that too many people are going around feeling as if they are entitled. Yeah. And I think this happens on all sides of the coin, regardless of your politics, regardless of, of, of your religion. It's just the simple fact that, that that's the fallacy in, our, in our, our, social, our big social argument, is that we come in thinking that somehow we deserve more than the next person. If, if you find that to be the case, then you got a problem. <laughs> and he captured it up beautifully, which I don't see any other artist doing. So it uh, may not be lyrics, but it got my surprise category. This is, this is also funny because last year me and Steve had the identical best song lyric song, which was um, Stuff, Stuff is, is Way. Way from... Uh, <laughs> they Might Be Giants. Hey, that was my runner-up last year. Come on. So clearly we're on the same level still a bit. Um, from here we go, though, to our first full album choice since Most Enjoyable which is Most Moving Album. Um, we, changed the, we changed the wording from um, Most Emotional because, I mean, emotional is a cliche term, and truly, this, what this album and the song to follow, uh, big surprise, is about is what moves us. It doesn't have to necessarily be a huge emotional impact or a specific emotion. It's just got to move you. And so I will take us into this. Um, we foreshadowed it a bit, and uh, Steve mentioned it a bit, and I think it's because of the huge strong theme of it but singles by future islands is my most moving album mostly because as someone who suffered through bad relationships through heartbreak through delusions in relationships this song really this album really spoke to me and what also makes it the most moving album my most moving song will tie to when we get to it but i just the thing i liked about this lead singer as good of a singer as he is and he is what makes him a great singer is the emotional conveyance of his voice. You always know how he's feeling when he's singing. He's singing like, he's singing with the weight of a thousand pounds. You know he's burdened and you hear it in his voice. And that throughout the entire album moved me. When he drops that weight and shows some joy in his delusions and gets back under it and gets miserable, angry, happy, you go through the roller coaster with him. And I think that it really touched me a lot, and I have a big thank you here, and I'll mention her later again, but the Living Statue Galatea surprised me with this record because I had no idea she was bringing it on until she told us, and it's still one of my favorites of the year. It's not, it may or may not be my favorite, penultimate, but definitely one of them. It was very interesting, despite our despite our, our rating lowers. But you know, again, we're talking about very very specific incidents here. Now, it's interesting that you that you noted that as the most moving album because obviously this would speak to to whatever 
specific aspect moves us individually the Correct. most. And in my particular case, um, I'm, I'm a lot more drawn. I think, eh, rule of thumb, can't really be said this 100% for sure, but generally the music itself or a particular chordal motion as it follows uh, as it follows a certain theme is what really really gets me in the end Which is why that was close. It was a runner-up But I found that you know when I had to discount a lot of the music sort of just as a backdrop It was there it was appropriate, but it was a gaping hole as I felt on that album the um, the the content was there the vocals were certainly there, but mm, when you didn't have that musical edge I couldn't give it that credit instead mine went to an album that we talked quite quite length about uh, Episode 111's My Brightest Diamond, this, uh, this, this is My Hand, which is, as the title it reveals, a very, very revealing album. It is her entire emotional center as a human being. And the funny thing about that album is it speaks more in a, from a real-time perspective. The, the issue, I suppose, with, with, with singles is that you're not sure whether it was real or not by the end. You're, you're, you're still kind of steeped in the fact that it may very well have been fantasy. But with every chordal sweep, with every transition, and there are so many transitions on My Brightest Diamond, I found that, that, um, that her album, This Is My Hand, just was moving front to back. She always found some way to reel me in and make me connect emotionally with the story via music, which is what I'm looking for. And I am on the exact same page as you, Steve. I also went with This Is My Hand, My Brightest Diamond. Mm. The the choices for of, of just texture in this album is phenomenal. Yep. The, the transitions, just on texture, just on instrumentation at aspects, just, it's heart-wrenching. It's gripping. There's a reason I bumped it to a five. This is a beautiful piece of art, and it is a full piece of art and it's the kind of thing that just moves me always moves me I, I want to listen from front to end even though I know parts are going to be tragic and even though I know parts are going to be beautiful and at times you don't really understand where it's going to go and that's part of the point because at the, her core level the structure is there we, we said she had a very compositional skeletal rigid structure yet the, the meat on this piece the actual brush strokes to her art are so butterflies, are so light, so touching on, on top. It's, it's hard not to feel as I'm listening to this album. Mm -hmm. Such that even the, the, the reasons that, that keep it from being a five for me, which is only the fact that, that sometimes there are songs which don't quite hit the same heights as others, which is almost, you know, something to just to just brush under the rug. I mean, so what? You have to have uh, peaks and valleys in your album. And it, it, it's tough for me to actually withdraw that that point too because the peaks and valleys probably are, are why i put it there at the same time the peaks and valleys are what make it so incredibly moving sometimes in the in the the moments she chooses to just sort of lax out a little bit between those incredible peaks which i think are some of the 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 most incredible peaks that we've listened to even in uh in in the entirety of our reviews and now we move on to most emotional song now this this is a little bit different the the most moving song is a song that contains with its within itself the entirety of what you're looking for as opposed to the album which has its sweeps its its rises and falls a song doesn't have to do all of that it can do just one thing and for me arc iris and the song might i deserve to have a dream mm. was was stirring the harmonies the strings 
all of this being doubled by that grumble guitar in the background was such a contrast. It's it's hard. I I get emotional. I think about it, and it's another one of those songs that just touch me. The string instrumental, though, that they go to in, in in the latter part of the song is where it drives it home for me, because there is a pause when the violin, the cello are working together. There's there's a half second pause in just the notes, and they come right back in in a sweeping high note, and it's at that point I I tingle. It's that point I'm getting goosebumps. More than anything else, that that's something that's going to be, you know, hitting me in that primal nature kind of a way, hitting me in, in in such a way where I can go, what are they doing, and why are they doing it? Hmm. For me, my uh, most moving song connects directly to my album. Um, it is by Future Islands, and it's the song "Fall from Grace." The song comes towards the end of the record, and why I love this song so much is because you have an even even tempered fairly melodic lead singer who sings very emotionally but very even no extremes and then in this song fall from grace when you get to write before it's the chorus essentially it's part of my reflection in the mirror at your feet before you go please tell me and then screams was it all inside of me screams and then brings it right back down to i'll leave here in the morning after screaming his heart out, to mm. me, that gut-wrenching, guttural scream shows the raw emotion he's feeling about the delusion that he's in. And that really resonates with me. I've been that angry. I've had that kind of rage. And anyone who knows me from a hole in the wall knows I'm not an angry person. But to be pushed by a relationship and a deceit or, or deception so much that it makes you want to boil over in anger is a powerful raw moment that I could not ignore. And it's one of the most, it is the most powerful emotional and moving moment for me this year, which is why it's my moving song. But see, that's interesting that you mentioned uh, moving moment and that will take us into our, our, our next category uh, before I, I, well, after I, I say my most moving song. But see, now this is very important when you consider uh, how to, cl- how to, classify both a song and a moment. Obviously, moments are going to drive our love for specific songs, which is why we get into really, really tough tough areas here, really tricky situations. Um, For me, I was close to taking several songs from My Brightest Brightest Diamonds, This Is My Hand, which is my most moving album, and saying, oh, well, those are my most moving songs. I, I had the choice between Three, four, five, six of them. And, and I found myself saying, you know what? It's really all about the moments on this album. This album is driven by moments almost wholly. That's its strength. It's also partially its weakness. That's again, goes back to that little point two here. So I had to go toward a song that, in my opinion, encapsulated uh, a moving thought front to back in, in, in a, uh, a signifying, confident way. And this was Prince Johnny from... St. Vincent, St. Vincent. So again, the album that it, you have little, little, little issues here where, where they're dealing with strengths in some areas and the weaknesses in other areas, and often they they cross over very frequently. In the case of St. Vincent, it had very, very strong songs. Other songs were a little bit weaker, but the songs that were were strong were incredibly strong. And Prince Johnny was a track that concerns a deep emotional lament for uh, a friend who is beyond help. 
And to me, that was just this this powerful concept conveyed wholly every single time she reaches the the um, the, the height in her, of her chorus at the end of every single phrase. It's a very very powerful moment, but. The song itself, you can't have that idea without the entire song. When she goes to discussing uh, sweet times that they spent together, you know, it shows this this friendship as being very, very close, very connected, only to let you realize, you know, once the chorus comes, that all those moments can cannot save this person. Some people are entirely closed to repair. Otherwise, the song serves as a, as a, as a calling out to um to make people aware of this so that they could perhaps take more of an active approach toward people who need help most and at the end of the song it's especially uh gripping when she reveals that she is the exact same way it's 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 an incredibly emotional song and it fits the pop framework which means that it it can be felt by by anyone you know it's not going for high art here but it is a high-minded uh concept I want to clarify that when I said that that was the most emotional moment for me, it's an emotional moment because the rest of the song is so even tone and dark but even, and then that emotional discharge. The package of the song makes it the most emotional song, even though that's the most emotional poem. I just wanted to clarify that. Hmm. And going into our next category, since we're talking about moments, um, it is our favorite singular moment, a potential transition point of a song, a potential just note, or in my case, a song that felt like a single moment. Because while I was almost picking Prince Johnny, and specifically the phrase, pray to all, when she hits the note in all. Exactly, that's the climax I'm discussing, pray to all, all, and of course she repeats this over and over as some and kind of... And that's why, that's know, why, that's why it, that's I funny. shied away from pray to all, because it wasn't a single moment. It was moments throughout the entire track, and it wasn't such a crux, because it got repeated a little bit too much for it to be that one instant. Of course, it's the climactic moment that it keeps returning to. But then again, it depends how you interpret moment. We can define that as, as something that, uh, that, that we see as a, as a reprise, you know, of an instant. And, well, I'm redefining the word moment again, just like I did last year. Yes, with Evergreen. <laughs> I am going with Pusher. Interesting. Alt-J, uh, the, the, the way it's sung... Everything about that. Lyrically, it is gorgeous, but when you start coupling that with how drawn out and slow burn the entire song is, both with the vocals and the guitar work, that late, almost fleeting piano work, it's, it's a singular idea, a singular moment stretched out. I can't get away from that song. I'm enraptured when I'm listening to it because I don't know how it's going to end every time. Even though I've heard it, dozens of times I don't know how it's going to end I don't know when it's going to end because it's almost a blanket on top of my mind when I'm listening to it I I don't see time passing when I'm hearing this song hmm. um, since I particularly don't like to play by the rules I will also redefine moment um, last year we talked about a moment between the three of us as hosts with um, Darlings of Lumberland I won't get into detail listen to that episode last year's year in review this year, I have a singular defining moment because it was something that had been leading up to for a long time. Um, I started talking about Schaefer the Dark Lord since the first moment we started this podcast, pretty much. Um, and then back in episode... At 115? He was our guest. 
he brought us the Beastie Boys record. And honestly, my favorite singular moment of this year on the podcast, instead of a song, because I couldn't really pick one, was reviewing a rap album with one of my favorite rappers. It was just, it was incredible to me. You know, I met Schaefer, I'd become a fan, and then we transcended fan to friend. And it's been really awesome. He's a great guy and a great musician, and it was just a really cool moment for me. And a, a very a very liberal interpretation of this particular uh, category. But it's you're right, because also you mentioned that you're not as, as focused on the moments as opposed to the result of an entire track. Correct. So it's, it's, um, it's fitting for you to omit that. But uh, I will bring it back to music, and true to my words, I bring it back to the album that I think is defined by moments, My Brightest Diamonds, This Is My Hand. This is coming back for a couple of categories here. And uh, again, it's because countless times throughout that album, she hits heights uh, that that reveal sides of of her as a person and as an artist that I just have not witnessed from any other artist. She does this in several moments here, and it was really really tough for me to pick a single one on that album because each each track seems to hit a certain height, and combined with her v- booming vocals to, and and of course her compositional abilities to bring everything together, she can phrase. Uh, she can phrase a particular moment to really, really give you chills. Um, I will be a little bit liberal with this uh, definition and not call it a moment as in a note per se, but as a sectional climax. In this particular case, I'm going for the bridge, the final bridge at the end of I Am Not The Bad Guy, which was the track on that album that she essentially embodies denial. Because the track is called I Am Not the Bad Guy. It's as if she needs to tell herself this. I am not the bad guy. I am not the bad guy. In the context of a relationship or of, well, any relationship, um, you know, grounded in love or other, otherwise, we often have the, this, this need to, to prove ourselves or to prove our, our um, to prove how, how, how venerable we're being in certain instances. When very often we can overlook these things. We can, we can forget ourselves and and uh and treat other people with 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 disrespect without even realizing it and i believe that this track is 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 characterizing this kind of denial in in the concept context of an argument between her and someone else whether it's actually being spoken or not there is denial here that everything is just slipping away it seems as if this is doomed because she refuses to actually admit that very well perhaps she is the bad guy Going on to the moment here, the moment is the tail end, where it's the, the bridge is dominated more by anger. Granted, throughout this entire track, it's an amazing track, there's, there's an ominous backdrop being built, which is as essentially the, the, the issues that they're, that they're facing, you know, at a glance. You feel it behind, you feel these unresolved issues that just, they're, they're, they're there, they're not going away anytime soon, and then all of a sudden, it explodes by her... You know, revealing out in this, uh, I will read the, the words here. Oh, my love, my love, my sweet love, my sweet love, satisfy this longing, indict me or let me fly, though I still claim. And this is, I mean, her voice gives me chills at this moment, though I still claim I am not, I am not the bad guy. And it's, it's, it's shouted, it's almost meandering, and obviously her vibrato helps with this. It's almost unsure of itself, you know, as if she has to convince herself in these words. Yet, she's not falling short of, of her anger. It is absolutely chilling, and, and I, I, I feel her position, even though she may not feel her position. And amazing that, that music can achieve that. Next, we move on to most innovative album. I always struggle with this category because 
I mean, innovative to what? Innovative to all of music, innovative to a genre, innovative to an artist. I mean, it's, you can, can kind of make a consent to whatever you want it to fit to. Um, I was tempted to pick U2's album just to make my co-host's heads explode, but I didn't want to clean up the mess, so I didn't pick that one. <laughs> Um, however, I did pick an album that I'd forgotten about. I'd forgotten about it because we reviewed it fairly early. And as we do, we do a lot of albums, and it's hard to remember everything, especially if it doesn't become the kind of album that you want to listen to over and over again, but you still like it. So that innovative album for me was Arc Iris by Arc Iris. The reason that I picked that album is because it's a unique take. I mean, her singing, her play style is very folk-influenced, but, but the, it's... The little techno additions, the use of technology, the use of her voice in an interesting way with that folk music that really makes that album stand out as something very innovative in a new folk genre, in folk in general, in rock in general, in the, in the, bland, in the most basic of sense. It, it just seemed to be an interesting direction to take this kind of music. And while I like straight up folk and traditional music, I thought it was very interesting to have a very folk influenced album but with a lot of the modern technology edge it's interesting i didn't notice as much modern technology in that album it was it was rooted in folk and classical sort of to me which which well it's going to appear in my rating it's already appeared in in, in uh in my my best lyrics because she it, it was the biggest surprise album i think considering it was an album that i really i i, I picked and i didn't even have a uh, i didn't have a premise for it i just sort of picked it said this sounds curious at a glance and we dived in and i i was i was thrilled by it um but innovative again kind of a tricky thing here i i went to something a little bit more recent only because of the the folk uh influence in arc iris and the many times that arc iris seemed to go back to country on that album that was the only reason it kept from being innovative but in terms of of the classical implementation uh i still think it was is excellently done and a close runner up but more recently um our fan pick, Owen Paletz in Conflict. I believe that that he is the winner in this category because as another composer, and we have with us the, the strongest here for, for composers, both um, Shar Warden of My Brightest Diamond and Josie Adams of Arc Iris and Owen Paulette of Owen Paulette, um, they basically master everything. And they it's all coming from their head in, in the end. That's what's so fascinating by it. So whatever they choose as the next thing or as their desired fusion of their personal interests that's what the album's going to be almost untainted and in this particular case it it encaptured i mean it, it encapsulated the best of what i want to see from the merger between strings and electronica and brass i mean it was it was a playful album and yet also very disturbed I found the electronica to be the most uh, to be the most intriguing because of the fact that it was it was right there alongside with with the string work every step of the way. Nothing took a back seat. Nothing felt like it was simply there as a courtesy. You know, a lot a lot of hip hop artists do that. For instance, where oh, let's just throw some strings in the background. Meanwhile, it's like a soundbite from something repeated over and over and over again. But here, it was it was fluid, and there were several tracks on this album that that. They opened whole new doors just in terms of that combination of texture and the rhythm as well. The way, for instance, that uh, he decides to play around with the, the pizzicato cellos, um, and I believe it was uh, the, the third track on that album. Extremely fun and, and wildly unique. 
I those were runners up two and three right there. But when I first heard Saint Vincent, it was just phenomenal because it it felt like what if Beethoven made modern pop, like the compositional work in such a dare I say lesser field of music. I don't know, but pop gets gets you know bad named all the time because it's pop but this proves that pop has no reason to be mainstream that it actually can defy its own name when you start throwing in prog when you start throwing in jazz when you start throwing in electronica and you fuse that together and keep it familiar keep it approachable it's it's becomes just beautiful it's it's like she's uh, the most OCD individual in the world when it comes to her composition and having a freak out. She's drawing from here, from there, from everywhere. She's the most organized tornado you're ever going to see because it's got elements of this, that, and the other thing. It's got the kitchen seat. She's throwing that in there, but it fits so well. I think I heard that somewhere. It's not even blended. It is just purposely done from A to B to C, but but to be so off the wall at times, I, I love what she's done with it. I, I This is what I want... Quote, pop rock to be. I'll admit it's very it's very innovative for pop. I had yeah. to, I had to sort of lean That's toward the, competi- the the composition uh, side in the end, only because I know Annie Clark is, is an amazing uh, composer. But I kind of wanted that on on Saint Vincent, and that's another reason why it. Uh, uh, is lowered to a 4.75 because she still did everything within within the the framework of pop. But frankly, if we had a a category on here for most uh, most uh, innovative song, then Digital Witness would be doubled Obviously. as as not sure. not just my catchiest, but also most innovative because shares the reason. Um, on to the next category: best vocals. This is a song category. Best instant uh, or in- encapsulated throughout an entire song of vocals best ability best implementation however you see it um anyone else want to go first you go for it all right i'm back to arc iris on this one arc iris uh josie adams uh, I, even listening back after the fact this just this threw me for a loop as to how she was able to do this and we've had plenty of really amazing vocalists this year but for some reason i went toward more of the artsy reasoning here not 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 the diva on stage it's kind of like if for instance you saw if, if you saw Beyonce you know and someone said oh that's going to be the best vocals it would be a little bit redundant because you know Beyonce can Beyonce can sing but there's something about the implementation in this particular song Canadian Cowboy by our by by Josie Adams and her 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 vocals themselves it stuck with me for, for a very weird reason. I was even almost unsure, so I went back, I checked, and I started tearing up within the first five minutes because of how she sings this. It is sung with the voice of a woman trapped in pure fantasy, a almost pure lust, kind of like what I said about the lyrics back in uh, the second track on this album. Uh, this was a little bit further along. It was either the third or fourth, I'm not sure. But, um, but in the lyrics, she conveyed the same thing there, and it's conveyed here in her vocals, you know, to the peak, in my opinion. It, this is like a dripping romance novel, the kind that makes absolutely no pretense to be realistic, and the music supports that with this misty backdrop where the, the Canadian cowboy rolls up and is everything that she wants him to be at that moment. It's just, it, it's a five-star song all around, but I chose this for, 
again, her vocals and her interpretation here. It's almost comical, again, toward the, the romance novel feel, because her voice is in a state of breaking, like she's choked up at the thought of him coming along. It's, it's like falsetto, which is rarely applied to, to, to females, but that's kind of what it is. She breaks up out of her register and breaks back and forth in this, in this waning uh, un uncertainty or a dreamlike state. It, it's absolutely chilling. She does this especially when she falls on um, Fall on Me, which is right here at the, at the... Well, actually, it appears several times within the verses. Let me just read to you a little bit. Canadian cowboy, fall to me, and fall right here is held. Slip your arms around my waist. Let me have a little taste of your worried lips of cigarettes. This is a Broadway musical. Every single moment is considered to, to not just bring in... Uh, the, the a realistic romance of course it's not a realistic romance but she's she's connecting with you on on the playwright level simultaneously with the music level so again between that and her vibrato the slow pulsating nature i just don't know whether to be turned on or a little bit creeped out because she portrays a bit of creep in the song again there's absolutely no realism to this it is a depiction of the fantasy involved in in a one night stand or the imagination of one it beautiful my best vocals goes back to uh, a band well, an artist and an album that you guys have been talking about quite a bit that I've held back on because I felt she had more focused places on my list. And that's Cheryl Warden and My Brightest Diamond and her song, Resonance. It's the second last track on that oh, record. That was... And there's no moment. This song, from the beginning to the end, her vocals are literally out of this world. It's a song that sounds of another world, spacey, breathy, gorgeous and her vocals reflect it she has a beautiful singing voice and there's i'm not going to bring up lyrics because just go listen to the whole song this song is an incredible display of her talent as a singer there are other moments in in the album that display her talent as a lyricist as a musician as you know a poet this is purely it has all those things but it's absolutely her vocals they resonate with me ah ha 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 in resonance this song is <laughs> unbelievable it leaves me speechless every time i listen to it i wish i had an edit button here so i could press it in front of your face <laughs> but no that's um that was a very close runner-up interestingly for my uh for my moment uh mm -hmm. only because of the, the 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 signature moment where she almost breaks uh from from the verses like on a dime to the choruses and there her voices are just her vocals are just belting but again here, this is almost the silliness of these if you see that as a moment or a characterization of, of characterization of vocals i saw it as vocals throughout an entire song i didn't hear it as much throughout the entire song there but believe me uh her vocals shine on that album uh countless places i chose a song that actually was a duet sort of only kinda ah i think steve's figured this one out already warm foothills alt j and the recent one the combination of well, first of all, Alt-J has a great vocalist, but bringing in a secondary vocalist and not singing in unison too often, except in those, those chorus work and a phrase work, but to have them able to trade off and beautifully, almost mid-syllable sometimes, the ability to go back and forth without a hitch was phenomenal. That was just so interesting. 
I, I after a while I didn't really care what they were saying, but how they were saying it was so just perfect. It was it was a love story. Warm Foothills is very much on the nose as a kind of a sex story almost to some extent, but it's just the two of them and their slight changing in perspective and the changing of the pitch was 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 so great. It's got whistling. Even the whistling was just so cool. Hmm. And it's got that that pivot chord that Steve said over and over and over again, and I agree wholeheartedly because I really I'm you re, I used to raining to remember, but you know what? Yeah. If you ever want to hear it, or if you want to hear me explain pre, it, the uh, pre-chorus episode 120. I'll, I'll explain. I'll explain. Okay. The pre-chorus chorus work of your foothills as they rise and go all oh. the way up. Oh yeah, come back, come back. You're warm. Yes. Yes. You're yes. Warm. yes. Female to male, mm-hmm. your foothills, you're warm. It's pre-chorus, chorus, and then instrumental chorus work. Ah, so see, that's a that. that's a moment to me. Yeah. But hell, whatever. <laughs> it was. But I'm not saying that was the only thing. It was the whole song and the way they just did that duality, not duet, but pure duality between the two musicians singing. It's it's just it was just freaking awesome, and I love it. Our next um, category is we go into another song category, most, most virtuosic or technical song. These words can mean the same sometimes, but they also have separate meanings as well. Um, and I had originally picked one song because I really liked where he went with it, but I realized the whole song wasn't virtuosic. It was, I mentioned him earlier, Jack White's Highball Stepper. It was his instrumental track. If we had an instrumental car- category, it'd probably be my favorite instrumental track. But I decided it was only virtuosic in moments he was not completely virtuosic on that track. So instead, I picked a band who is so virtuosic, you don't know there's two of them. That's, of course, Death From Above, 1979. Interesting. They're a band that are a bassist and a drummer and a singer. It's, but it's the drummer who sings? Yes. The drummer who sings. Very yeah. odd. But on their song, Right On Frankenstein, listen to it and... Tell me it's just two people, because it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like a full band going nuts. He does stuff on that bass that I've never heard a bass do before. And that's why this is my most virtuosic song, because in Right On Frankenstein, you can't tell that it's just two people. They're so good at what they do, they're filling out a band with two members. And I love that. I was blown away by that song and that album. It's another pick of Steve's that blindsided me this year. (laughs) But... But it was mostly in that song that you really get a sense of just just what these guys can do. And it was brilliant to me. So that's why it's my most virtuosic or technical song. Yeah, I, feel, I feel like I won the year almost by accident this time. But um, it depends, again, how you perceive uh, virtuosic. I, I considered that album uh, for almost the same reasons. I considered that more of a songwriting thing and just the way in which they, they make it seem so filled out between two people. Um, so I'm thinking around, oh, what is virtuosic this year? I feel like we, we had some easy answers, I think, the previous year. You yeah. think of things like sh- like shredding here and there. We didn't have too much shredding. In fact, the only instance I can think in which we had shredding guitar this year is not going toward a positive no. prize at all. No, no, no. Um, so I interpreted virtuosic, again, as a, a bringing in the best combination of instruments. Uh, this is also on Arc Iris's Arc Iris, Honor of the Rainbows One. Oh, it is song. the pure <laughs> instrumental, regardless, I mean, w- with the exception of, of distant vocals in the background, simply just going ah over and over again. That song was my runner up. It, it was, was my runner up. It was very strong because that, that's, a, that's a song that deals with, uh, excuse me, peace, if, you're, if you don't count the, uh, those, those light vocals in the background. But it's a song that's, a piece that's built off of 
sort of wide intervals that that kind of phase back and forth to tight intervals. It, it's really a cla- If I were to change the title of this, I would frankly just say it's expert composition here. But it, it 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 conveys openness and tension all in one. It's it's again an exercise more in intervals, I think, than chords. It's all these like suspensions and and implications here, uh, and of course a, a knife cutting. Um, choir in the background which is those those ahs over and over again that's that's just it it's an instrument essentially it's like the it, it's it's ancient it's like the soundtrack to the end of the world i remember saying that on on the uh on the episode itself um it it really is just something to to behold i i consider it virtuos- virtuosic and technical even maybe a little bit out of the character of, of an album that was comprised of some folk songs some country songs um other greats that have already got my my uh my high ratings and, and prizes, but th- this this is what I really really want more of. I want I want people to bring in unblemished composition in in the middle of these works to show really what music can do without always going back to verse chorus. This was this was just you know a strike from the ether. I'm 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 actually a little surprised that Steve didn't pick this one, but I understand his reasoning because I see. I chose this song for. It's just stuck with me. Digital Witness. I had to go with Digital Witness from St. Vincent. Hmm. The combination... For virtuosic? Yeah. Nah. I think it's, it's just, just... It was a straightforward concept to me, but it was a very, very original and innovative concept, as I said, would have put it in, a, in an innovative song category, if there was one. It's got such distinct and clear layering involved. Such distinct and clear composition involved. Very, very partitioned sectional work. But with all the complication that's thrown in here, it's not crowded. It's not cluttered. Every layer that gets introduced, and there's some disparaging nature in some of these layers when you're talking about a techno kind of an idea married with some old school horns. I mean, there's there's a lot going on here. It's saxophones, not horns in this oh, case. Oh, excuse me, I, excuse me. I, I misspoke earlier myself. Um, the way it moves is it borderlines predictable, but in this case, it's necessary for you to know when things are going to stop because otherwise you're going to lose the control of it. I mean, it's, it's almost as if St. Vincent was losing control, that this was sort of an, an ether idea for her because it's, it's, it's all over the place. It's, it's, but it works so well. I can't, I can't get away from it. Mm, that's fair. I, I accept the rating. I think again, that's more of an innovative concept to me. Virtuosic and technical involves involves a little more than that. But she did a lot with that with that one idea, which is the the uh, repeating saxophone motif. And the mm-hmm. rhythms there are are in themselves, though they are repeated, very technical. So I'll give you that. That's a good one. Um, Next. All right, that's all three of ours. Uh, let's go on to best album theme uh this is specifically theme and we'd like to make a distinction we'll pair this uh with the following category album arc because theme uh talks about something that's that's more of a subject matter something you can convey and usually has to be conveyed through lyrics although we've proven in in the further past that it doesn't always have to be conveyed through lyrics for instance if your if your uh texture and and sound effects seem to sound of an era you can do something like boards of canada did back in episode 54 and convey a theme purely without lyrics but it usually tends to be a little more in the nose while arc is simply the emotional or or uh well, it doesn't have to be emotional. Any kind of conveyance 
that you experience over the course, the time of the album, the 45 minutes or so, the point in which it starts, the point in which it ends, it should, it should play like you'd read a good novel. You, you, you feel the, the pattern there and there's no holes. Let's start with theme first. Um, this was something that had a little bit of hole in the art category, but I really, really hold that the theme was strong. And I went for something more specific here. And uh, runners up, I'll say them right off the bat, were, uh, were um, singles by, uh, by Future Islands. That was a really, really, really strong theme. But I, I guess I kind of wanted to go to sort towards something that was less personal. I think it's easier to come up with a with a personal concept for theme. In other words, you talk about yourself, or you make up an idealized, uh, uh, fictional version of yourself. Whatever it has to be, I just think that that's sort of par for the course when you're talking about music. I went for something that was more high-minded. Damon Auburn. I think this was such an interesting concept that he was going for with everyday robots and matt is i'm interrupting right now because <laughs> i picked the identical theme i struggled with uh, this so hard because me too i re i agree i had the same problem singles <laughs> by future islands is such a great theme but i identified with it because i'm a romantic mush of course i'm going to identify with it exactly but damon alburn's this was everyday hot. robots well, we have to both discuss this now but i'll i'll trade off to you it's just the fact of this 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 over over this wave of technology that's taking over us on an everyday life mixed in with his actual personal experience and locations was really this kind of interesting concept of how his perception of technology and these everyday robots are kind of moving through society that combined with his inter interspersed um, the comedian whose name I'm blanking on but the sound bites um, you know what it is wasn't it <laughs> that's at the in the intro of the album. You know, it really puts you in a mindset of, okay, this is going to be interesting. He includes very technical elements. At the same time, of course, there's, there's, there's elements that, that bleed toward, toward the nature side. Yeah. Because that's, of course, what technology is taking, a, 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 taking us away from. Um, and we don't yet know the implications of that. And that's what I love about this album most, is that, you know, even though every single song wasn't really a pinnacle, I don't think it's really going to hit uh, any of my other categories here for any other reasons. But this alone was a really, really, really great concept. Um, it's very important to what we're dealing with right now and all that we don't know. Technology really is kind of a new thing to us in terms of what we now define as technology. I mean, to what they defined technology as a thousand years ago is kind of pitiful by our current standards. We're dealing with about a hundred year, maybe three generation experience with this, depending on how far back you want to go with the Industrial Revolution. And he encapsulates just how immersed we are at this particular moment. And each and every song is an exploration of a different facet here. Uh, even in one instance, he goes, you know, Mr. Tembo, how the, the, the elephant taken, I kind of, that song kind of grew on me, at least yeah. in context with the album, you know? It may have seemed like a little bit of a bizarre idea, but here it is, the elephant driven away from his home because people are moving in, can't stop progress, can't stop technology. Well, this is just a little slice of life for everything that we're facing right now. No one is really, is really dissing technology. We are all products of it, but you know, at the same time, we're gonna find it conflicting with other uh, aspects of our being. After all, we are we are natural. We are we're human. And also, you're listening to a podcast, so obviously, you're using a form of technology to do so. You're not pulling it out of the air, and you're also listening to people who are using one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe eight, nine pieces of technology just to do this podcast. Mm -hmm. Whereas there were people doing podcasts with one piece of technology, maybe two, a microphone and a computer, or a microphone and a tape deck. Like, 
just think, if, if it wasn't for this, we'd have to get a soapbox somewhere and just kind of rally people around us. It's true. I don't and like then, And then we wouldn't be like able to, to listen long. to anything. Yeah. We'd have to have live com- live musicians come in here. But just to wrap we up, to review. for me and Steve, before we move on to John, I just I think that the reason I like this theme so much is because you had to, you didn't have to hunt for it, but you did have to look, and I liked that. I liked, also, Damon Alburn is a man behind, one of the geniuses behind the gorillas. The gorillas always have a theme on every one of their records that's very strong. Even though musically the arc is a little loose because they do compilations. They do compilations sound-wise. They do all sorts of different stuff. But I think that helped Everyday Robots in that case because it's just another facet of technology. Variety. Access. So mm-hmm. I, I'll pass off from John and am astonished that me and Steve agreed on this. It was That's a pretty awesome moment it was for a bizarre one. This. Again, we're pulling from 50 albums here uh, almost for the year and, uh, and countless other songs. So crossovers are... Challenging. And everybody knows how I like to do my metaphors. And I'm going to start this by this. I had to pick two. I love themes. I love finding themes. Well, cheating-wise, one of them was Everyday Robots. Obviously. So I'm not even going to wax eloquence on this one. um, Because you guys encapsulated the theme so beautifully. It's exactly what these two just said. So listen to it again, and that's my, my opinion as well. But my other one, because I, I love personal stories, and no, I don't think it's a little, it's a cop-out to pick a personal story or to write about the personal stuff when you're talking about a high-end theme. This album is not really high-end thematically, though, but it was very touching, and it's something that I later found out the artist was intentionally going for. Okay. And that's Weezer. And the way River Cuomo did um, it, the, the new album, Everything Will Be Alright in the End, he specifically set out to do an album about relationships, something I saw in the actual album. I was able to actually parcel out as I'm listening to the album what type of relationships he's talking about. And he's on the record talking about, well, I wanted to do a group of songs that are about my relationship with my fans, and I was able to see those. I wanted to do a group of songs that are about my relationship with uh, authority figures. He did those. His relationship with women. He did those. It's a three-part theme work that he really did meld together to create a cohesive piece, especially when when you start looking at the the progression of the album itself as well, because thematically he also went from early Green Day uh, Green Day, early Weezer, to mid-Weezer, to the Future Scope trilogy, where he's trying something brand new. It's 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 a two-fold, almost three-fold theme work for me that is really powerful. It's a fair point. I, it, it was on my radar, but I just couldn't ignore Everyday Robots, so that... I, I chose not to ignore Everyday Robots in spite of Weezer. Yeah. Well, it, it's as I said before, you know, just the, the, the difference between theme and arc. I think when it comes to theme, I'm looking for something a little bit bolder than, than the personal thing. Lots of people write about relationships, and a lot of people do them very well. Uh, one of those was, was, um, was Future Islands and their album uh, Singles. But... You know, maybe it didn't get the theme, but I think it won Ark. Okay. Because for Ark, uh, I think that that was really the, the, the fascinating element there. Again, okay, he's writing about a relationship. May or not have been real. We don't know. We're confused by this. We're trying to figure it out over the course of time. And then it's an album that takes you through, chronologically, through the, the, this, this, this pattern of, of, of realization 
and then denial, and then fantasy, and then remorse. It, it, it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre, bizarre, uh, bizarre theme, but it's conveyed more powerfully through its arc. Because by the time you get to the end, it's like, it's like trying to solve a mystery, trying to solve some kind of great Sherlock Holmes mystery. You want to figure it out for yourself. And because he can be very, very obtruse, you know, at it, it, it's deeply emotional. But at the same time, you know, you, you, you can't as easily put the pieces of this together like you can in other fallen relationships, fallen relationship albums, because he purposely keeps you a little bit distant. And you get the idea that in the aftermath, assuming that it occurred, that he went a little insane. At least that's what's conveyed in the music, and, you know, that's kind of like watching Cuckoo's Nest here. You're trying to figure out the characters as you go through, through a very, very murky lens. He gives you that lens, and that's, that's, the, that's exactly what I want in a, in a novelized album, is, is a little bit of work for us, too. I think that was the most inventive arc that we had all year. I... Okay, I'm doing the same, not the same album, but the same, pretty much exact reasoning with one little change here. My Brightest Diamond underwent almost, almost the same arc as it was far similar. as the, sto the was story progressed. Similar. But there was one element to it that, that definitely sets them apart, and that is My Brightest started <coughs> very literally, very concrete in the here and now. And the way she changed up, and as the distance from the relationship became greater, you could see that lens of time allowing her to become more metaphorical. And that transition was very impactful for me. So when you start going from uh, pressure and the, the early tracks, and even her metaphors are very on the nose, very much there, you know exactly what she's talking about. The distance is giving her, maybe not rose-colored glasses, but causing her to squint at what she's looking at. And that, that time frame is, is, is so different from the way singles did it, yet the theme work is so strong and the artwork is so similar that I, I'd give the same, almost the same reasons. Well, in, in her case, I think it was achieved more through music, and that doesn't dispute rating. I think that just says you saw it through a different lens. You, you, it's, which is funny, because usually I do see arc more through the musical pattern. In this particular case, I don't know why, but, but, uh, but Singles was just reaching out to me because of, because of, of the mystery content and, and, and the lyrics themselves. But you're 100% on the money with them. Um, with, with the musical aspect of things. I think that that was the arc that she was striving for. And in her case, it was accompanied musically. It was just, it was just a little bit more on the nose with, uh, with singles, which is why I couldn't overlook it. For me, my um, best album arc actually comes a little out of left field. I re-listened to it recently, and I really, I really liked the artist, and I really liked this album, even though I rated it a little bit above average, I believe. I don't remember the ranking off the top of my head. But Beck's Morning Phase... The reason that it got such a strong arc for me is because musically, it's an album that emotionally it was it was moving in moments, but overall wasn't. But musically, it's very interconnected, interlocked, and moves together. It's very cyclical, like the phase of sunrise sunset. It it's very cyclical and very connected, and that's why I think. I identified with the arc of that album so well because thematically it wasn't very obvious what the theme was. It seems like a growth album. He's growing from, um, you know, this artist who is a little more mature to this wiser, 
gentler musician. There's a lot more folk on this album. There's a lot more regular straight up rock, acoustic, because he's growing as an artist. He's coming into this next phase of his life. And I think the music really conveys that in, in, in a very strong arc, which is why I identified with it. It was nice to go back to it. I really like that record. And I think that um, this new kind of interesting folky direction that Beck's taking, I think, can, can have legs and will really go somewhere. Hmm. That was interesting. And that, that's something I, I think I would I would uh, dip back to the um, uh, Beck's, Beck's morning phase because I remember really, really enjoying the, the, first, the first track on that, uh, which was Morning, mm -hmm. right? And wasn't the last track phase? Was mm -hmm. that was something that like that? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. that kind of works with the arc there. But yeah. um, I remember absolutely loving morning. But the rest of it wasn't able. I wasn't able to latch onto it. I really, really wanted to. But I think that's worth a worth a second look. Maybe it'll appear next year. We don't know. Um, and in our next category, one of one of three big new categories that we're doing. Um, best opening to an album. Best starting point. This is something that. Well, I'm surprised we didn't actually do it last year because we always bring up how a album... The intro track is. Yeah, how it first hits you. It's yep. an okay intro track. It's average as far as intro tracks go. Yeah. I probably could make a... a I'm cringing. Montage. I am a, cringing. A montage. Well, because we have last year John going, wee, 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 weezer. And you could probably do that with me saying how good an intro track was. I think I started bad. doing speeches. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the opening, their first impressions of an album are telling it's it's so important to have a framework to begin with. Uh, chapter one, or even prologue. even prologue, and pressure by My Brightest Diamonds is yep. the, okay. Same here. So all three of us pick pressure by My Brightest Diamonds. <laughs> There's no yep. argument yeah. here. This this intro from the minute the drums start, you're just like, ooh, what's this? What's this? Yes. What's, what's this? this? What's There's this? Something what's this? in the air. <laughs> but, but, but it really is. It's so engaging just from the, the, the drum the drum line stuff. Like because we're expecting a pop composer album and we're getting a drum line. Like drum line, tribal, chimes, techno, funk, bass. And that's, that's flourishes. This is the first twenty five seconds, thirty seconds. I don't. It's yeah. it's a phenomenal piece of that's work. That's why I would define it sort of as a call to arms. Like, yes. I mean, I think that's what really, really brings you into the the beginning of her story, which, as I said, it, well, as you said before, is already a very, very strong arc. Um, but but definitely the opening is 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 the I think I think that lays it on the the thickest, uh, more so than any other element of the arc. More in 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 the middle of the album, I do think you get you to get segmented pieces of 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 herself, which are is just as impactful. But they perhaps could be reorganized. We don't know. But pressure needs to be at the front, and it's very inviting. And what I love about it most is that it's not talking down to you. A lot of opening tracks that we get very often are safe, safe tracks. Um, sort of like what you just did before. You know, it's an okay opening track, but but it, it, sometimes I think they see that as a positive thing. Very much, you know, play it safe, bring in the the masses, people who will accept it, you know, more openly. In which case, all right, great, you got a bigger audience in the beginning, but then if you're just you're talking to people that may not have uh, that may not have the attention span for what you do as a whole. So why not just go for the gold? And that's what she did here. The track itself, Pressure, is a long-form song. It's, it's, it has a, a loose pop structure, but frankly, it's a lot more complex than that. It's still got all the quirks and all the things that's what make her such a great, comp uh, a great, such a great composer. And I, I love that she laid it on right up front. And I think also what's really important about this being the first track and most important about this track, it was freaking fun. 
Oh yeah, it was a blast. It's to engaging. To. It's completely it's, engaging. It's, it's a slap to the face it, right away. Wake up. Here you go. Here's my brightest diamond. And it's so entertaining. Like you can't not get up and get into it. It's and that's why I think also it's really important to engage an audience, but not in the safe way, but in a fun, entertaining way. And that's that doesn't always have say. to be that's, safe. That's the um, that's the flip side of it. It's like if you do want to bring in the most people, then why not just go towards something that is fun, rather towards something that will that will just mold itself to your audience. You want yeah. them to mold to you, kind of. You you take the stand. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Um, I'll take us into our next follow-up category, which is connected, which is best closing on an album. And this is where an album that I'm I'm going to wax eloquent on later will first come up. I'm not telling you where. I'm just telling you it's coming later. Uh, and okay. that's, that's Owen Pallett's In Conflict. I am in love with this record as much as My Brightest Diamond and Singles and St. Vincent, if not more. His closing track, which is simply three dashes, a less than sign, which to depict an arrow, pointing at the number two in parentheses. It's gripping, chilling. It's a great wrap-up. It just, this song does what closing tracks should do. Make you think, leave you confused, and make you want more. And that's exactly what it does. It's so open-ended, but emotionally powerful, just from an instrumental that I think that it's by far the best closing of this year because you have questions, but you're excited about your questions. It's almost like a cliffhanger or a stinger, like we've talked about in many other albums. You know, it leaves you wanting more. And I can't wait for his next record. I'm a fan. And that track really just hooked me on. It was strong. It was really strong. Um, I also, I thought that album sort of was very, very well bookended anyway. I think it had another very strong opener. I, uh, I just, I guess I sort of had to give it to... Um, I was very curious in the beginning of his album, but I, I guess fun took over. That's why I went for opening in um, uh, My Brightest Diamond. But as far as closing goes, um, that was up there. It wasn't immediate runner-up, but I went towards something that was, I guess, a little bit more... This time I will use the word accessible, because, frankly, I don't think there's anyone that doesn't know what this is. It's a lullaby. Rewind just one episode. Okay, go. Episode 118 as opposed to 119. Lullaby. It... It, it is exactly what it's what it says it's it's a lullaby and it, it's in three that's that makes it a little bit more interesting than your than your typical four four lullaby but then again there's no really no rules when it comes to lullabies uh i appreciated it for exactly what it was and also for what it did a little bit further than what you expect it was a lullaby that wasn't i don't think as traditional perhaps but it was the kind that serves its function you actually do feel yourself falling asleep at the end. And I think I think that's important for the end of an album to have. Maybe it's a little bit tacky in the end, you know. Obviously, that's that's kind of a, a little bit of a cheap way out, you know, if you don't have a strong closer. But sometimes, and in this case, I found it to be unique amongst the selection we were looking at. I think it was a very, very appropriate one. Not considering the arc, though. I'm, I kind of take arc out of the out of the picture here because I don't think there was anything in this album that really suggested that it should just be winding down to a close. Although perhaps some things do. If you go back to that episode, we do discuss something along those lines. Um, but you know what? Just in terms of the way it closes the album out, I was I was very appreciative that someone would would sort of return to uh, return to a, a lullaby format. It was very very well done. Not tacky in the slightest, in my opinion. My choice is a real long ending. 
or short, depending on how you actually look at the songs. The Future Scope Trilogy from Weezer. Everything will uh. be all right. And I'm not saying the entire piece, because while it started rock in part one, The Wasteland, and in part two, Anonymous, it becomes somewhat anthemic, somewhat punkier, a little bit more close to their roots. Both those two parts were more, not ambient, not even close to ambient, but it's like Weezer trying to be ambient. Weezer trying to be prog, if you can try, if you can apply that term to what they're doing. But they weezer it. It's still, you know, 4-4 kind of a setup. It's still very much a, a safe song. But in the final track, the Return to Ithaca, the the bright lights that the music is doing, the warmth that the music is doing, the the return home feeling that I'm getting in Return to Ithaca is so impactful for that trilogy and for the album as a whole. It, it took almost the whole album to really set it up, and it definitely took those first two parts to do it. But the the way the drum and guitar interacts with one another, the hope, the classic ending that they put in that in that song just culminates in a very finality now I can rest kind of a feeling now I can now I can actually sit down and stop which with all the other songs that they were doing the back and forth and the speed that Weezer tends to put in their albums even in their slow songs this this had such a finality to it that it really became the period on the end of the statement here that and just the combination of really the way they brought, broke out of their shells and just, just had fun with the instruments for seven minutes. Not really worrying about the words going on here, but just had fun. Just almost as a fan service. I, I gotta give it credit for that too. A little bit of credit, but enough credit that it really became my choice. So I was feeling acoustic and you were feeling epic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good I duality. Feel, feel, uh, feeling question marks and doom and gloom. Yeah, right. Um, this is a great oh, place good. to go into best transition, which is our final category in this part, um, which is exactly what John just talked about. So I don't really have to explain that much. My best transition, my perspective on best transition, is for these three songs from Wasteland, which is part one, part two, which is Anonymous, and part three, which is Return to Ithaca, between those tracks. The, the transition is so seamless between those tracks, it feels like one giant song. And I love when albums do that. As one instrument's winding down, another one's coming in, there's no gaps. It just goes from one song to another. and Yet the songs are still separate. separate. You can still identify them. That's the important part. And so I think that those transitions were peak because I didn't even really know there were transitions there. Like, the transition that's so smooth, you don't even know you're going between songs, is kind of one of my favorite kinds of transition. And for all those reasons that John just stated, the song just goes from level to level and is so interconnected. It's just a smooth ride, a smooth transition from point to point. So that is my best transition. I will return to your best vocals on this one, Resonance, because of a sectional transition. I had to define this as, as, a, as a transition itself because, um, you know, well, between songs is one thing, but very often the songs treat themselves as if they are two different things. And even within that, obviously, just the transitions between um, verse and chorus or verse and bridge, chorus and bridge, whichever. It, it really is the kind of thing that can sound very, very 
clear cut and dry like we've heard it for the last you know the history of of pop music verse chorus structure or it can leave you with chills this is one that did i'll give you the timestamp 52 seconds on resonance is that moment where shower warden decides to burst forth this is on my brightest diamonds uh this is my hand resonance it just she jumps out almost of nowhere it's this kind of background you already pretty much talked resonance to death so i won't really give you the um uh i won't give you the 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 theme itself but from a very very silent murky atmosphere where everything is just hazy and and unsure of itself all of a sudden she bursts with this 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 i can only call it longing and she somehow her voice is able to 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 embody that that uh that more than anything else. I mean, longing, longing is something that is very, very tricky to do, and I feel like almost all musicians try to do it. And again, something that very well could come across as tacky. But when you combine that with all of her, uh, all of her effects, the string backdrops, everything like that, it's just it, it is absolutely chilling. So it's a transition from the verse to the chorus here, and it only appears twice in this song. So it's it's those two uh, distinctive transitions. It, interestingly, not because of how they transition or how gradually they do so, but because of how sudden they are. I chose the song for pretty much the same exact reasons again. Uh, actually, it's once again in the chorus work, and this is a song that's making a repeat appearance. The pivot chord of Warm Foothills is still such a defining moment in that chorus between... And it once again appears twice, but between the the first half and the second it goes from almost dreary kind of uplifting i don't know it's got a darkness to it but once it hits that chord and changes over from your foothills to your warm it it completely reinvents what's going on the scope of the entire song so suddenly changes yeah, this this the setting is just reinvented and it happens twice and each time both times it's a complete reinvention the tonal shift is 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 dramatic though it's subtle it's it's a beautiful combination of the two and i love it i love it i just love how on a dime they go just one emotion to the next now we move to the booby prizes because everybody loves boobies Especially since I work in the burlesque industry and do sound for it, it's a known fact. But in this case, it's a negative thing. Yes, it's a very negative thing. Um, these are the booby prizes. These are the, the you know, these are the, the worst of the year for one reason or another. There are some positive notes, but all, all, in, less, all, all in all, this is the crap. So let's get into it. Most ubiquitous. We chose this wording. Steve particularly picked it because it's, it's describing one of the herd. Just something that just is almost forgettable. And so mine was an easy choice. It's unfortunate because it was a fan pick, but then again, you roll the dice when you recommend something. It was mm. Rise Up by Saliva. It was so ubiquitous. Ooh, that's a good one. I didn't even know. <laughs> I mean, a bad one. I mean, <laughs> it was so ubiquitous. I didn't even know they changed singers until I looked it up after. They had a new lead singer for this album as opposed to the older ones. Really? Oh, yep. wow. So I, I'm not going to go on about this because I have explanations for other ones. It was just, it was unmemorable. I didn't remember any of the songs from it. It was completely forgettable. Interesting. Yeah, Ubiquitous, it started off as like, you know, most generic, but it really comes down to the fact that, that Ubiquitous is, 
band an artist that's not trying to make any strides. Even if they feel they are, it's just, again, sometimes at the end it comes down to competition. I mean, you want to sound better than the rest. It, music is competition. Everyone, anyone in the business knows this as much as they may not want to admit it, but that's what sells to people who can exceed their neighbors. And there's a lot of people who just settle. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, the quintessential settler are the ones that settled on their own sound. And that is U2, Songs of Innocence. Yup. They didn't just sort of copy what else was out there, because a lot of people have copied U2 now. They copied themselves by doing so. They copied people who copied them. Yeah. That was the worst part. The only reason even, I... even if they didn't, really. But the fact is, the way it appears, if you just sort of, you know, pick up YouTube from, you know, the early 1980s and then drop them here in the 2010s, there's just, you gotta push further. I feel that even, you know, our first album of the year, which didn't make any prizes bad or bad or, or good, but our first album of the year, Paul McCartney's new, I feel like he was doing more things with that album because Paul McCartney can always reinvent mm, himself. No, no, not no. at all. I re-listened to that album. No. Okay, that no. all right, yeah, fair enough. Get that but, well, yours, you too, let, well. let me just, let me just clarify yeah. something really quickly, though. However you feel about that album, I feel that it is not, char is not completely in character of his previous work or of other works. However you feel about the rating of it, that's one thing. But as far as U2's sound was concerned, it was just U2 doubled, and it was not the best of U2. Many, many songs here, I even caught phrases, melodic phrases here and there, here and there, which just sounded like they were completely lifted from their own And work. I believe I helped you out there, actually trying to find what songs they were going yeah, to. Yeah, and we succeeded. In um, almost every instance, yes. I... I only picked Rise Up by Saliva over that because I literally don't remember it at all. It's completely forgettable. No, you uh, no I should have picked Rise Up. I should have picked Rise Up because I did, in fact, forget we did that. <laughs> but U2 is so mainstream. So, so the hurt. They are the definition of arena rock. That's the thing. I, th I that, That's a good explanation because you... And you arena two, rock is supposed to be reaching everybody. I mean, they're, yeah. they're the definition it's a, it's of something that it. is the definition of ubiquitous. Yeah. Ah, there you go. Okay. I, Whoop, I think we've is. already given this way too much time, as it were, because it's ubiquitous. Yeah. Anyway, you made us do it, so don't even complain. <laughs> um, next, I want to talk about my best attempt, because I do actually have some words on this. Best attempt for me was Sonic Highways by Foo Fighters. And the reason that is, is because they tried something new. It didn't work as well as we had hoped for something super awesome and original, but they tried something new, and I respect that a lot, and I think it was the best attempt at trying something new. They could have done more with it, probably, and I hear that it's really great paired with the TV show, which, if that worked, then great. The album itself was not perfect, but I think that, that I like the fact that they tried something that no other band had really done, specifically stated had done. So that's sure. my best attempt. Fair enough. Mine goes back a little bit to uh, the early part of the year. Um, despite that, what I just said about Paul McCartney, I still don't think that quite reaches a, a best attempt, really. It nope. was just sort of Paul McCartney trying something else, which, however you interpret it, is, is up to you. I saw the best attempt as something that was very, very personal to a certain person, and that it was the front man for Against Me and mm. his album Transgender Dysphoria Blues. I think that this album really had an emotional center. I do. I just think it was buried behind a mess of, of music that, that could have gone places. Several times I actually almost got this stuff stuck in my head only because I kept hearing it at, uh, at, a, at a record store that I frequent in, in Jersey. But um, they were playing it over and over and over and over again to the point where I actually kind of did get it stuck in my head, even though it's probably completely out of, out of your, your memory. But you know what? 
I, I really do see the emotional center here. Obviously, it should be mentioned that this, I mean, it says it right in the title, transgender dysphoria blues, coming to terms with, with being transgender, newly transgender, or having always been so, and then coming to terms with, with having to share it with everyone else at the same time. And there were some tracks on there which I feel like warranted so much more than the music that he gave it, but sometimes it did poke through. For instance, the track in which he discusses how he will lose his relationship with his daughter because things will inherently not be the same again. Not necessarily that they have to, but just because, well, we have gender roles, and sometimes we put a lot of importance on them. So, obviously, you can't have the same traditional father-daughter uh, relationship again. It's just, it's, it was a very, very powerful concept, considering his recent coming out, not only to his family, to his band, uh, to his friends, but the music itself is just flat, old, traditional punk been there done that punk but you know punk modern indie with an indie twist uh i could hear the emotion but it just it it, it couldn't turn heads and it should have it really should have lonely islands the whack album and not because i think they succeeded in one retros uh one respect and that is to make a comedy album and to make a great comedy album it was it's it really is hysterical but to make a great album, they really did fall short. And I think that was mostly because it's sort of the same thing that happened with Robbie Williams. They were stuck doing one thing to make the joke. And theirs was, a, was significantly more blatant. But because they were stuck doing one sort of idea to make the joke, they couldn't musically push it as far as I think it could have gone. Because these guys are not... They're, they're the opposite of idiots here. They're very intelligent about this stuff. Uh, it's a little bit just shoehorned in the framework of musical styles they're working with. That being said, they get so close in making like real, real awesome songs that you would forget are supposed to be comedic at times. You actually uh, just reminded me of something because I, I think, um, you know, using one trick a lot of times is the reason for falling into these little traps. Uh, I think that, that kind of takes me back to um, to Against Me's Transgender Dysphoria Blues because he used one trick. The trick is what he knows. It's the rock that he's always accustomed to. More than that, it's the theme. It's the, the character, uh, the, the, the quintessential emotional track or acoustic track that, that coincides with, with his recent emotions. Um, but, you know, be a little bit more... I, I, inventive with it that's something that we all know already well no coming out stories we've had plenty of it and frankly i was much more impressed by the 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 very uh D distant illusions that were made in uh, Owen Paulette's, um In Conflict regardless that he's not transgender there were definitely coming out stories there and it far more moving far more inventive i mean that's how you tell your story in fact actually Owen Paulette was my Runner-up for best attempt. There you go. Well, really, really yeah. attempt to see another. No, he said no there was two. No, no, as as a whole of an album. Nope, wrong. I think it could have gotten as good as some of the other ones that we've been talking uh, about today. It was today. better than them. Yeah, what, no, no, no. What singles? I mean, I mean, I'm I'm talking. It yeah, could have been. I'm, I'm, we'll get into it. Singles. It could have been. No, it was. It my brightest, was. but it was just no, on the cusp of better, missing it out. Was, it was. I think. Better. better than singles for sure yeah I, and I, that's, my brightest diamond that's one possibly. of the reasons why i lowered singles is yeah. because recently they shared the same rating and i realized i can't justify that when when singles yeah. the music fell behind but own palette everything was in sync yeah i would have to disagree on that but that's fine 
we'll move on to biggest disappointment because I decided Foo Fighters wasn't a disappointment. It was average. That's not that disappointing. My biggest disappointment of this year went took us all the way back to our first album of the year, A Man Who Should Know Better. Paul McCartney's mm, new I knew it. was a horrible, horrible disappointment. It wasn't the, a horrible, horrible disappointment, though I'm agreeing with you. It was... I did a chronological listen this year, and I went back to listen to that album. I really did see old Paul McCartney in there and some, some, some catchy tunes. If you want to grade it on an album scale, well, then you have to consider the fact that Paul McCartney has never always done albums that had this arc and theme. Mm. He writes catchy songs even, and some of those no, songs no. are still very catchy. No, no, That's no. a mid-range. It's not going to hit any successes or, no. or booby prizes on my, my problem is but that it's fair. is that the expectations are significantly higher for, for Sir Paul McCartney because that, I felt yeah. he's, he's, That's unfortunate. I mean I know, but frankly, I want more from him. And I also need more from I know that's him. why people might put you two up there, but believe me, Mine was just purely for the music and not for you two's. Uh, nah, this stature. one's selfish. This one's so, pure selfish. I yeah, wanted more. Biggest, of all right, biggest all right. disappointment is going to be personal, and for me, I'm the same as John. I expected better, and I didn't get it. I also sympathize with the age factor just a little bit in his particular case. I think I think the catchy things surprise me, uh, and also you know relating to relating to youth still surprised me. And there were some tracks there which also uh, talk about his age. I just think. That's what you're getting for Paul McCartney in, in your 70s. You know what? Leave it alone. <laughs> just, yeah. I, I, it's just how I, I see it. Um, even the songs that I was kind of making fun of for a little while, I still secretly found myself singing along to later. My big green bus. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, I will take us into the next category here. Most... Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. I haven't done my most disappointing, excuse me. My we already know. Yeah, well, that's very recent. It was our... our well, you did... You did uh, Foo Fighters for that. No, that was that was not that no. wasn't under that. That was under Best Attempt. Sorry. Yeah. Um. Well, episode right before that, episode one twenty one, we did TV on the radio's Seeds. I hate to do this, also for for the personal reasons in that maybe they were affected or they just had a different and and very personalized interpretation of their of how they were going to deal with the, with the death of their longtime bassist. And I, that's why I hate to really even include this in a booby prize. But to me, it, as far as their sound goes, again, it's the problem of conveyance. I, I just don't think it, it served as the best ode to me because of all the generally positive, you know, party-going, you know. Uh, it may have all been ironic, but it just didn't hint at that in in any place not not in enough places a couple of places it just the art of it was a little bit too abstract to the point where you have to question whether whether uh whether that was really born from the from the artistic source um that you want it to be born from you know this is this is a really tough thing to explain but frankly i just as far as a personal experience goes i know they have done so much better so i will leave i will leave uh theme out of it completely and just say from a musical standpoint you know they they settled somewhere maybe they don't even know it i don't know next we're going to talk about the most derailed song this is a song that's either derailed by its lyrics its music both doesn't make sense at all this is a gobbledygook a mishmash maybe it was perfect up until minute 132 and then all of a sudden it, what, the fuck, what are you guys doing so, allow, allow me to go here just because it'll follow directly upon my my previous statement. This is also right. from the same album, TV on the radio's Seeds, the song Ride. It it is the moment that I kind of 
felt that I had to bring theme into the mix, even though I chose not to for the sake of disappointing album as a whole, I do have to do it for Derailed Song. Ride had the most beautiful exposition on the album. Not the most beautiful exposition ever, but it was strong. It was really strong. It was, uh, it was sort of a dirge. It was an ode. It felt like a funeral dirge, at least. I, I, I was very connected with the loss at that moment. Then, all of a sudden, on a dime, we shift. And it concludes with, uh, I shouldn't say concludes, halfway through, it, it goes to a wall of 16th notes and, and frankly, subpar vocals from, from Tunde Adebimpe. Really, really bizarre. It starts throwing in random things. You know, the, the, the melodic soundbite from Ring Around the Rosie makes an appearance in that song. It, it is just, I, I find, I find no logical explanation to it, except perhaps the need to move on immediately, but I found it distasteful in context. Wow, he's passionately upset about that one. Um, I've gotten enough distance from my derailed song to not be as upset, but Metalizer by Judas Priest doesn't make sense, is <laughs> terrible, and is gobbledygook. A derailed song, you're right, can be a moment in the song that derails it. For me, this was derailed from note one. It just, the lyrics were made up, the word Metalizer doesn't make sense, the <laughs> lyrics don't make sense. I expect better from Judas Priest. They're a good band. A really good metal band. They're and, another one that's grappling with age, though. And so I just, I expected better, and I expected sense, at least. Hmm. Or metal sense, which is like demonic stories, whatever. It, was a sto- it wasn't even a narrative that made sense. So that's my most derailed song. That's enough of that. My derailment actually occurred also where we're going to go into the next topic as well, the saved. The derailment was left hand free. Mm-hmm. Had, no place, had yep. no place on the album. In fact, they said they made it specifically just to gain notoriety in the United States. But frankly, the follow-up of Garden of England and the interlude was solid. It got me right back into the album. It did fold it over to the point where I can go, oh, Left Hand Free really doesn't exist anymore. See, blah, well, that, blah, but that's blah, blah, fair, blah, blah. though. You, uh, derailed in this particular case was very momentary, and it was a whole. But I still think that's a good that's a good selection. See, for yeah. me, that's why it was my most derailed album. Even though we're not going to go into too much detail about this, that song derailed the whole ra- album for me. Because I was like, well, this is we, we were questioning the overall sound again. Yeah. you know, And, and that's so, very much like what I was doing here with TV on the radio the yeah. second they made that shift. You know, I just I couldn't classify them at this point. And when I was always able to classify them as something as something very unique. Um, I think and, well, that'll take us into our final category. I was going to say, I think song. we've given the worst enough time, but let's get into the worst of the worst. The worst okay. of the worst. This is something where we're not looking for specific things. It's just when you add it all up together, this is this is the stuff that's uh, that's most problematic to you as a whole. And for that, I was I was very close to copying uh, Metalizer in this particular case. Metalizer was there because it was just so, so weird. I couldn't, I just, it was going to be my worst song because it, it was completely made up for the sake of being your metal track, that uh, your arena rock metal track, which is almost just as bad as, you know, doing it for the market, you know, of the United States market as Alt-J did. Um, you don't want to hear that stuff in, in music. That's like learning there's a Santa Claus, you know. We, uh, we did it for the money, you know, in this case. <laughs> Um, so what was your worst song? I went, oh, this was really tough. I even tinkered around with a couple of other tracks on the Judas Priest album, but I went right back to TV on the radio, and the song that followed my derailment um, ride, and that was the song Winter 
worst song of the year. It is it perpetuates and worsens the ca- the qualities in the final half of and maybe I'm not just talking, you know, mind bear in mind, I'm coming from a personal place here, so maybe this is I'm just very heated with this. But I, I think it's appropriate when you consider most of our work. All of the the, the wall of noise that we got in the last half of Ride is accentuated in winter. Um, it's a it's still a wall of noise added with distortion and incomplete melodic phrases. They just don't go anywhere. It's it's the entire song is like this front to back. There's there's hardly a hiccup in it. Um, and I just I found it, I, yeah. Coming from a bad place as I had already had with the previous song, this was this was you know kicking me when I'm down a little bit, and it was it was almost impossible. Even though there were some better songs after this, it was almost impossible to really save the album in my mind. They just it seemed like they fell asleep for a section, and again I just have to question myself: what was the deal with them saying this was their they considered this their best work yet? Except if they had a very bizarre uh, construed interpretation of what they perceived to be an ode. Or, mind or mind maybe, the wordiness. Maybe the word best has a different definition. I just, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, my worst song, which I know for a fact is Matt's worst song, um, Bring the Sun, slash... Toussaint, Toussaint L'Ovateur. No, it's L'Ovateur. 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 Swans, to be kind. I did like a lot from that album. I couldn't quite find a place for it in my best of year stuff. But I did like a lot from that album. But that 35-minute POS is freaking ridiculous. It is unbearable. It is way too long. It could be cut in half into the two songs it was meant to be. And it would still be way too freaking long in both in, uh, in iterations. It is the longest build that never culminates in anything and goes absolutely nowhere. It's it should, a wall of noise. No, no. It should be brought out back and shot. It's a wall of noise. It's way too long. It's aggravating. It's... Anger-inducing. I hated this album almost as much as my worst album because of this song. Um, I hated this album too, but it's not my worst. It was just because there's still a technicality and a skill with this band that I respect. But this song has got awful. It's 34 minutes long. It shouldn't have even been 10 minutes long, five minutes long. It was crap. It's tough for me to remember that song specifically because well, there were a few songs on the album well, for an t- album that was extremely long. It was our only double album and it's our longest review yet. But um. But what's interesting is that I guess each individual track there, I found myself at least, I'm granted this is not a good word, but I use the word enduring for it because I'm curious as to what will come next. And every once in a while, they did do something very surprising. So what the question is, is your 30-minute wall of noise, you know, equal to my my probably four-minute wall of noise that I got from TV and the radio's winter? Um, I... I don't remember a single hiccup in winter, but I do think I remembered something, even if it was minimal nope. in every in every part of of uh, of that album. To be kind, I could be mistaken. Well, that but song, in which case, so, I re-listen. I re-listened to that track today, and I wanted to bang my head through my t- monitor. I, Maybe you're right. This, I mean, that would be very much in line with my reasons in our last year's 2013 year in review for when me and you agreed on uh, on on deep chords, yeah. Somer. Um, to which John was quite mad about, but <laughs> no, I wasn't really mad. It was a little bit of yeah. shirring. But to me, that was an album of the same thing, as far as I'm concerned. But so. since me and John are in agreement, of time is important. Worst song. It. We shouldn't stop there, and we should be in agreement of worst album, which we are. Um, I don't know if Steve's on the same page, but our worst album of looking tw- like I am, Redeemer of Souls by Judas Priest, is yeah. without a okay. doubt. I'm not done. The worst record of the year, and here's why: because 
it's not just disappointing. It's not just ubiquitous. It's not just derailed and 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 bad. It's all of those things. The problem, I mean, the 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 pain about it, I think, is because we know that. And I know this for just from a musical standpoint that there's some there's some chops that went into making that album, like the shredding that goes in. Not everybody could do that. It's really difficult. The problem, and this is all about result. Music is is an artistic form. It's about how it appeases the listener. And I guess if you're a hardcore metal person, nope. actually I don't. Yeah, I don't even think nope. if you're a hardcore metal person because you're nope. gonna know what's in your genre yep. and you're gonna know the good stuff that's out there, the better stuff. Why would you want just something of the same? Again, similar uh, indictment as I gave to to you too. But the problem is that you two, in this case, I use hiccups in the positive way. You have to really skip around, uh, you know, flip around t- t- on end when you're talking about the worst of the worst. The hiccups are positive in you two. You have moments where you're like, that was a good idea. Expand on that. You have moments in TV and the radio seeds. That was a good idea. Expand on that. There are all these moments in these albums that, in general, we haven't rated very highly. Um, but but this had Redeemer of, of Souls was, was the same shtick. And it was, it was kind of demeaning the shtick. Like, for instance, when I get a Black Sabbath song, I, I genuinely believe that they're sort of, they're in the lore. They're immersed yeah, in the they're, lore. They're, they're creating it as, you, as they go. But, but this was like a parody. Yeah. You it, know? it was almost so bad, it was almost a parody, yeah. It, it really was, especially when you talk about Metalizer, you know, Hell and Back. These tracks, they just, they have very little going for them, except for the solo in which you can only sort of say, oh, yeah, that fell in the place like it felt it should have. Yeah. I want okay. to move on now to our winners. Wait, wait, of the wait! Year. I said nothing about this album. What do you have to say? Screw this album. Okay. Hey. There you go. Uh, now I want to get on to the winners. Um, I want to go first for best song because Gotta it's just here. It's just. I feel like we don't. None of us are really gonna have to go too long on our best song about best album because I'm imagining we talked up the albums that are and songs that are coming up. That said, my best song of the year is a song that could have been in places that you guys put it in. But it had all of those things. So it's why it's my best song of the year. And that's Digital Witness by St. Vincent. The song is My ca- runner up. The song is catchy. I'm into it. I could listen to it on loop for an hour. It's it's just it like John said, and I'm not gonna go too long on it because there's no reason to. It's got all the parts. It's a it's an organized tornado of amazing. And I'll leave it at that. The the question of whether is my run I mean, what song is gonna be my runner up and what what's his winning is really just depends on your mood at the time and it's off the same album St. Vincent St. Vincent it's either Digital Witness or Prince Johnny and I was feeling Prince Johnny on this one because I feel again it's something that almost everyone can relate to um I'll read the lyrics here I withheld before because I think this got an earlier uh this got an earlier mention mention of mine but this time I will read the lyrics Prince Johnny, you're kind, but you're not simple. By now, I think I know the difference. You want to be a son of someone. This, 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 this em- emphasis on importance. Everyone wants to feel important in the world. Remember the time we went and snorted that piece of the Berlin Wall that you extorted? And we had such a laugh of it. Prostrate on my, my carpet. carpet. This is my choice. I'm in a it's... full agreement with you. This was number two. For, let me go through the list. This is number two for catchiest song. I really did think it was it was right there mm-hmm. behind Birth and Reverse. Best Interesting, lyrics. Catchy. Most moving. Uh, favorite singular moment. I did give it an honorary mention. 
It just wasn't the best at anything, but it's second best in like five, six yeah. categories for me. There's no other way to explain it. And this time I'll really put more emphasis on what I tried to say before that. That that chorus, saw you oh. pray to all to make you a oh. real boy. It's not all, it's, it's all. Oh, yeah, and it's it's that, it's, I mean, again, it really has every single element here. It has, it has the catchiness factor because you can, it's a very simple melody and everyone can jump on board to it, but it's not playing it safe. It's a, it's a... Um, the high-minded is the wrong word here. It's deeply personal, but it makes it relatable because everyone probably knows someone like this. Or, if you haven't thought of it, maybe after listening to the song, you will think for that person. Give them a call. I don't know. Spend some time with them. Try to get into more of their life, perhaps, than just the than just the small talk that we generally use as a cover for everything. Everyone wants to have personal connections, and personal connections are not easily achieved. You have to work toward them, and that's when you get the, the real rewards of 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 having that person to vent to, and you can vent back with. It's 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 a lot more open that way, and that's generally what I perceive as as the uh, as as the as the, the meaning behind the song, but then when you add in the other elements, such as the fact that it's it's the music is tied 100% with that emotion in the very, very light kind of misty 80s pop backdrop, but it's it's all about her voice and, and the rumbling bass beneath it. it the, the importance, the, the weight of, of, this, of this scenario, you feel every moment because the, the, the price will probably be the person's life because that's, that's what's implied at the end of this song. You get the sensation that a suicide has occurred because you know certain attention wasn't paid to. It's a very, very important song, I think, for 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 the world. So that's why it just beat out Digital Witness. Because believe me, I could play Digital Witness to the end of time, but the the meaning, as far as I'm concerned, is almost secondary. In this case, uh, I think I think it captured all ends. Well said. I'm, so. I don't I don't have anything to add. <laughs> I thanks. Cool. Thanks. No, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, on that, we go to best album. Anyone want to start? I'll go first. So best album for me was really tough this year. Um, we had a lot of major players. Singles was great by Future Islands. My Brightest Diamonds, This Is My Hand was fantastic. Even ones that weren't as high up on the charts, but on the ratings, but still really great records like Everyday Robots and Lazaretto. Weezer's newest record was very surprising and very good. It was a relief, too, that it was good. Um, but mine was unbelievably leaps and bounds above everything else. And it was not actually picked by anyone in this room. It was picked by our fan, Heather S., who's very active on Twitter with Crash Chords. And it was Owen Paulette's In Conflict. This album, still, every time I listen to it, gives me chills. It blows me away. I didn't think I'd find anything this year that would compete with Godsticks last year. I really didn't. I liked Digital Witness, but uh, not Digital Witness, but St. Vincent, St. Vincent, but for different reasons. But Owen Paulette's In Conflict, every song, it just hits it in its mark. You get the emotional connection. The lyrics are solid. The vocals are solid. The, the music is solid. His composition is on another level. His music is on another level. You know, his story, his emotion, you know, he, he approaches social conflict and social things but not with throwing it in your face it wasn't a macklemore it's not you know i'm gay and i need you know gay rights and all of this it's it's, it's talking about his personal experience with his homosexuality and it's almost conversational it's not a thing it's it's part of him that's it he doesn't try to encapsulate it in like this sort of broad spectrum story it's about singular moments moments he experienced with real people and very like 
very personal, almost diary type moments. It's 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 it is very powerful, and it, that's what needs to happen if you're going to take that personal edge. Go go for the gold. And so that's why that's my album of the year, the 2014 Crash Chords Matt Storm album of the year is Owen Paulette's In Conflict. Episode and 119. Listen. That's why I actually said it was the best attempt, because it was such a monster of an album. I almost chose it for best attempt because it was going to be runner up. It was going to be number two for me. It was so. It was. I gave it a four seven five. It's not really a booby prize. I was just trying to give it second place in this case. Um, I like it more than St. Vincent. Even though I love St. Vincent, and I think it really is a masterpiece, Owen Paulette is a little bit more accessible, to be frank, and that's a big plus. But my best is my brightest diamond. I can't, I can't do anything else. I really can't. It's just everything. Everything in that album just was a perfect storm of solidity, of story, of music, of vocals. And oh my God, I fell in love with a woman I never saw before. That's how good of an album it is. Uh, okay, I, I, no, no argument from me. The only one that actually I, I kind of look back and would say almost the same thing was St. Vincent. But frankly, My Brightest Diamond, emotionally connected with me so much more and just blew that out of the water well said there were three rankings this year as far as i'm concerned and they are uh equivalent 4.8s only because uh there were originally four 4.8s because um uh, i just demoted uh saint vincent sorry saint vincent it's just there are too many other tracks in that album that i just think fall short um but that's down to a 475 but now there are three uh 4.8s but they can be ranked. They're ranked very, very, very closely. Even though they, they have things that are better in some areas and not in others. As far as my ranking goes, third place is Arc Iris. Amazing compositional work. But, you know, drifted toward country and it was hard to sometimes pin the center. I feel like she found her center and then sometimes abandoned it on the album, but marginally. Um, number two, though, is Owen Paulette. Number two is Owen Paulette because Owen Paulette is... is as far as I'm concerned, I rated this uh, on, on, the, on the innovative scale. I think it is easily the most innovative album that we've done because I found myself every step of the way intrigued by what he was doing in terms of this compositional style between uh, strings and, and electronica. I could go in details, but that's the problem. I think I love this album as a more, in a more uh, uniformed state. I like listening to this album just in like as a whole. I think there are great moments. But I have this in my bio, which is, even though it's recently edited, we all have our bios edited. Check that out. That's something new for the new year. Uh, new bios, because, you know, we update ourselves. People are not stuck in, stuck in the past. Um, the very last line I have is, much like, much like life, music is about the moments. And I think that I need to reach real heights sometimes in the midst of work. And that's what My Brightest Diamond did for me, which is why it places number one, despite that it's still 4.8, just like these others in the ratings, in a near penultimate um, next to Godsticks, which was somehow managed to be awesome every step of the way. There are very few places on these albums where I'm kind of like, all right, you know, I, this is a nice section, but it's not blowing me my mind every single, like, every single second, you know? But that's besides the point, because we can't always be perfect. Perfect is almost impossible to achieve. I may find this and demote Godsticks if there's something superior in the near future. Who knows? That's just how we rate. But what it really comes down to, again, is the signature moments 
that I experienced as I was listening back to my Brightest Diamonds, uh, This Is My Hand, and trying to figure out what my favorite moments were. And I found myself going through this album, and they, it was entirely comprised, the list from all our ratings was entirely comprised of this album. From song to song to song to song, all my moments were on this album. Everything else seemed to come secondary, and that's because of her voice. It's because of her vibrato. It's because of the way she phrases that with the instruments that she brings into a certain moment in such a big way. Sometimes it lasts for an instant, sometimes it lasts for the entirety of a bridge, but it's the peaks and valleys of that album that bring me to tears like no other album this year has. Owen Paulette is really, really close. But it, as far as I'm concerned, on more an academic standpoint, I appreciate what he's doing. And I think it is furthering music along, perhaps a little bit further than what My Brightest Diamond is currently doing. But, you know, I, I, gotta, I gotta, stay true to, gotta stay true to the tears at the end of the day. Because I, I think in, in many ways, uh, My Brightest Diamond is, is probably, Shara Warden herself, let's just use the name, is probably, I think, I think the composer of the year for me. Well said, everybody. So that's our, we're, we're coming to the close of our 2014 year in review, but we have some afterthoughts and then I have some important things to say after that. Um, first of all, some afterthoughts. We'd like to talk about what we wish we'd reviewed. I'd mentioned Adam Warrock last year, Shave of the Dark Lord, who was a guest this year. I mentioned his album last year. This year, I found some really, two really strong hip hop records. One that I've mentioned on air, one that I haven't. The first one, it's a crime that I really haven't mentioned this year because it's an incredible record that I personally believe might be better than Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. And that's Perfect Hair by Bus Driver. He's not an nerdcore rapper. As far as I can tell, he's a straight up rapper. Um, he was featured on MC Fernalot's new record, which will come next, that I wish I reviewed. But it's an incredible journey through hip hop and composition. His tracks aren't just finely mixed, but they're composed, I feel. So it's definitely worth checking out. I'm kind of upset that you have not handed that to me, considering what I think of the heist. Yes. Um, the next track is where I discovered Bus Driver, because he's featured on one of his tracks, and that's Question Bedtime by MC Frontalot. It's just a fun, strong, themed, bedtime stories gone awry with MC Frontalot as your host. And it's just well done. There are featured comedians for skits. There are great featured artists on every track. Marion Call was on it, who I interviewed this year. Um, Adam Warrock, who I've mentioned before, was on it as well. It's just a really great record, so you should check that out. The next one is Kings and Queens of the Underground by Billy Idol. Billy Idol had a new record out. And I wanted to do it because I don't think he would have been That would have been down. fun. That would have been fun. But honestly, I think Billy I could have skipped. Yeah. And that's why I didn't pick it because ultimately I, I wanted to do it, but it didn't have the same impact as pulling on some of these others socially or otherwise. And then the final one is a soundtrack that I neglected to do, just because I think it would be an interesting change. Awesome Mix Volume 1 from Guardians of the Galaxy. But that, you know what, in that case, I would make the argument that it is a... Is a it's a compilation. A, it would have been tougher to rate. Yeah. But it had a bunch of great classic songs that would have been fun to listen to and talk about at least. Um, so that, that, would have been, that would have been interesting. I, there's been a couple of other um, movies and events like that. Like honestly, I wish they had done a Attack on Titan soundtrack. Yeah. That I can get a hold of because I love the way that music interacts with that television series. It's it's phenomenal. And if you're an anime fan and haven't watched Attack on Titan, well, shame on you. Um, 
a couple of TV shows, a couple of movies have come out. We really, I don't think we really touched upon any soundtracks this year. It's it's more it's more genres, I guess, that I'm 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 dismayed that we haven't gotten to this year. But again, we have a whole other year for that. I would like to again continue to be a little bit more diverse. We're still diverse, but you know, there's 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 other stuff out there, um, and it's very easy to get caught in what is prevalent of the day, such as indie. We had a lot of indie bands. We've had a lot of a lot of rock bands, even though sometimes it was a little bit old school. Um, lots of pop, uh, indie pop still kind of crosses over. Indie just seemed to be the theme of the year. Um, I, you know, I want to keep going uh, toward uh, contemporary classical. I want to keep going toward jazz. We've still only had one jazz uh, album in 125 episodes. Um, but maybe we have uh, an opportunity to to open up that door with the addition of a new of a new writer for the website. It's one Tony Catalano. Shout out because you can expect uh, articles from him for next year, and perhaps he will have uh, submissions and suggestions and just try to you know keep us a little bit more versed in the jazz field because you know we do have fallibilities, we have holes. You know, I could know always stand to know more in that department. And I'm kind of upset we didn't do as much. Uh... Electronica. We did so many things with Electronica Fuse, but aside from Glitch Mob, we really didn't do Electronica, Techno, Trance, House, anything like that. Everything seems to be adopting this, but it's hard to find, like, pure sounds that are, are any good, which is why I got a kind of a surprise for next year. Okay. Well, before we get to what's coming up and what we're looking forward to next year, I have a few things. You're going to have a wall of talking for me for a bit. Um, I want to thank people. We've had a huge year on Crash Chords this year. The website has more articles than ever. It had had at least in the last year before. We started a second podcast, my interview show, Crash Chords Autographs, which I love doing and has been a blast. We've grown. We're bringing on a new writer. We've all learned new skill sets. The fact that Steve doesn't give me a laundry list of complaints about what's wrong with my writing now kind of a personal achievement yeah i know it's a big improvement what a a self shout out (laughs) yeah it's it's like you're at about a third grade level as opposed to kindergarten at least i am writing um but oh oh, this got this got brutal but in all seriousness i do have an important list of thank yous to read so bear with me first i just want to go to some individual thank yous from companies that have really supported us this year there's payment entertainment and Sean O'Donnell, who's been sending me tons of contacts. It's how I got interviews for autographs. It's how I've gotten albums to listen to and, and write about on the site. Um, also, Scott Volweiler of Broken Records Magazine, who hooked me up with that contact with Shauna. He's, of course, the reason why we have Finch on our website. We have Power Man on our website. He hooked me up with the interview with Spider. He got me that personal connection. So I'm very thankful for him as well for supporting us and enjoying our stuff, as well as allowing me to write for him in his site. And then finally, from this category of other companies and entertainment, uh, is Invent Records and Yvonne Laughlin, who of course introduced me and Steve and all of us to Eric Neff, who was also an interview I did this year. Two separate companies, right? Yvonne uh, World Entertainment. uh, Oh yes, I think that's that's her. That's her company, and then Invent Records. I don't. I'm not exactly sure how it's uh, connected, but both. But both are important, and she was a great help this year. She sent us plenty of stuff and continues to and has been a great supporter of the site since she's discovered us as well. So I want to thank her as well. Next, we go to all of our fans I want to thank, but in particular the four fans who gave us recommendations this year. Knockjaw, since that's his preferred form of relatement, who gave us Daryl. Um, Kristen V, who suggested Saliva's Rise Up, which didn't work out the way we wanted to, but I still appreciate the suggestion. D, my former coworker at my day job, who suggested Dumbfounded, who blew all of us away quite a bit. And then, of course, Heather S., who recommended my album of the year, 
which was in conflict by Owen Paulette. Yeah, they were interesting choices. I think it got us out of our shell very well, and thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for coming in and being like, do this, do this, do this. Because it it definitely pushed us to try a little bit differently uh, to do these reviews. And Heather S. especially, because, I mean, Owen Paulette, considering that, you know, out of my my favorite album of the year, in which, uh, obviously, that's how it's connected, is that she uh, found our podcast on on My Brightest Diamond and how we reviewed her. And then, as a result, she sent us Owen Paulette. So it seemed to be very connected. And, well, <laughs> for a for a first and, and second album of the year, I mean, and for some of us, exactly the opposite, that's that's a pretty incredible relay. That's, that's connectability between us and our, and our fans. I appreciate that. Um, I also had a personal highlight this year. As you guys know, I've mentioned it. I got engaged to one of our guests and a wonderful performer and actress, Sarah Biz. Um, we're getting married in 2015 on May 31st, and I'm very excited about that. Why don't you just give them the address of the place? Um, we can arrange that. Come by, later. everybody. Drinks are on me. Yeah. But now I'm going to go through a long list, so bear with me, of all the guests we've had this year, because this is the first year I've been able to have a guest every month, and then also launched my own podcast interview show where I also had guests. So I want to thank them all individually, um, in no particular order other than maybe order of appearance. Um, first, there's Hops. Then Sarah Biz, Sage and Kim of Head Over Feels, which gave who gave us a very interesting look on our review system and our podcast in general. Susan Pike, who was an interesting character to say the least. Lewis Logic, who provided great stories. Um, I'm not going to get wordy about this. It'll take forever. Charles Stunningham, Mark Robert Turner of Afterbirth Monkey. Joe Rude returning. The Living Statue Galatea. Molly Heber Wilson of The Wasties, our second Wastie this year besides Sarah. Um, Rashmi. Shay for the Dark Lord, which was a personal accomplishment for myself. Then um, we're on to um, Circadian Clock, which was not the whole band, but Mike, Melissa, and Ari. Thank you for that as well. Very enjoyable interview. And then on to my autographs interviews. Thank you to Christy B., Sky Blue, Eric Neff, Ryan McComb of Soil, Michael Kill, Hugo Ferreira of, um, of Tantric, uh, Marion Call, Justin Doyle, Cool Z, Jesse Andrew, Tribe One, Spider One, Mark Young, MC Lars, who's coming in the new year. It's already recorded. I've had the benefit of talking to a lot of artists this year, both on our show and off it, and I'm so humbled and thankful that they take the time, they enjoy it, share it, and are a part of it. Um, Our website has grown exponentially, as well as all the social media attached, and I couldn't be more proud of us and you guys, because we all drive each other to do better and work harder, and we'll only see more in 2015 and coming up with the next year like we said we're introducing a new writer uh expect to see a lot more content from us on a written level as well i've already got four or five ideas i'm working on and i know these guys are working on their own stuff we also uh, have guest book for next year already Kita, yep. the return of kate is sincere yep of uh, the return of painless parker as well yep. and first timer robert of the wasties will be joining us to talk his other band rose west as well as wasties and solo stuff as well plus i'm going to have to kidnap nelson if i need to uh, yeah, uh, also be looking will be forward uh, to devin mullen of anxious kids make good make good people and uh, we got a couple of albums we're looking forward to i'm i'm, I'm giddy over a new steam-powered draft We've got Modest yeah. Mouse coming out with a new record, as well as the Decemberists, which we're all excited about as well. All mm-hmm. bands we've either reviewed or talked about on the show at length. Still my number one in terms of full discography. Um, and we have, of course, John picking our first album of 2015. 
And this is where I'm going to have a little bit from. Because the artist that created this album has had essentially a 13-year hiatus in the actual field of electronica that he's working in. He did a couple of compilations, but nothing really as an original piece. It's Ciro by Aphex Twin. Ah. It's been a very... I, I didn't even know... I forgot Aphex Twin. Yeah, I they're found in this. my library. Can't they're, remember the last played. Me too. There's a couple of, of like composition and remix stuff that they've done, but he... Had, he uh, Richard James hasn't done an album for 13 years. So Electronica's come a long way. So let's see what this actually does because he used to be touted as one of the biggest uh, uh, Electronica dudes out there. Like he did a lot of great stuff. And I'm, I'm kind of hopeful because I've listened to some of it and it, pre- and it was doing some weird things. So we're starting the new year with some weirdness. 13 years, huh? Yeah. Makes me realize how old my library is. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I can remember saying, ooh, fresh stuff. Anyway. Um, we're recording this before New Year's. So on our final note before we sign off, have a happy New Year, everyone. Thank you for listening. You right now, you listening. Thank you. Um, Let us know. We, we'd probably keep doing it even if no one was listening, but we're ever always grateful. I know a couple of people that are, that are listening. So it's about time you caught up to here, Joe. Um <laughs> And uh, uh, it, it's probably you're pretty much talking to him in the future, right? Yeah, now. I know, no, chronological. I know, that guy. I know he's going through the entire thing, so he's not getting it till this like, like in the March. teens or something. I don't yeah, know. but um, and and thank you. That's I think the biggest thing. Thank you for bearing with us for so long. I know we had a very rocky start. We really didn't know what the hell we were doing, mm-hmm. but I feel like we kind of hit our stride at this point. And since you're coming back, well, I guess we're doing the right thing so far. And we're only gonna get better. Ah, hopefully. Comes down to this. Comment, comment, comment. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. We'll fix it. Reach out to us on all the social medias. I'm not repeating them. Um, you know, contact us. Really reach out. We had four four great album wrecks this year. I'd love to have a full 12 next year. Who knows? One and for each month. We're going to have to start another podcast if we're going to do that. Yeah, at this rate. Yeah. But um, for the final time in the year of 2014, please remember, audience... Music is life. And And life life is is good. good.